That's it now? Okay. Uh, I can't. Huh. Very odd. No, oh, well, that's just the... Uh... There, let me just... Let me just. I'm, I need to do some troubleshooting here on my... On my cable. So it's, it's you switched the cable out, but it, it didn't do anything, huh? Let me just see here. Uh, huh. Yeah, that's odd. So it's only coming in one channel. Probably is like, uh, usually you can fiddle with it and does something. Because those guys over at uh, the computer store fixed it. Hang on, folks. Good morning this morning, everybody. Ten fingers counting, we have each nine planets. Okay. Oh, okay. If you triumph and be someday, well, that's a drag. I don't know whether that's just to say, uh, that's something I'm going to have to work on at some point, I guess. There, now I'm hearing both, now I'm hearing both channels. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we're back in. Perfect. Good morning this morning, everybody. Welcome to a wet, a wet Wednesday. And welcome to the news of the morning that we are prospering beyond our wildest dreams. The numbers coming in, just amazing when it comes to the economy. Unfortunately, though, we are in a situation where we have a lot of people who still are trying to, in any way, shape, or form, Unend or upend the president, this agenda, and 
people like Casey and those guys are still hoping for the end. Still hoping for that President Trump being led away in the straitjacket thing. We'll get to all that in just a few. Meanwhile, also, though, by the way, there's news that the government is competing against you once again. You should see the the the, the numbers of people coming from foreign countries here on these tech visas who are taking American jobs. And it's the government that is facilitating the influx of these individuals into this marketplace, the influx of individuals into the white-collar marketplace. You will be amazed. But first, I want to follow up on a few uh, things regarding the primary yesterday. We had the Democrat Andrew Gillum, who is a uh, black man, and he's there, the, 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 the mayor of Tallahassee, and he just basically stole this this Democratic nomination for governor from all of his liberal rivals. 94% of the vote in, this guy had a three percentage point lead over the former congressman there and just basically surprised everybody. That's on the that's on the Democrat side. And of course, President Trump working his magic there in Florida as well with his with his support of DeSantis and of course he just absolutely ran away with it. And Rick Scott, who is the former governor of Florida, also did well. And the Arizona GOP Senate primary, McSally won. She's a veteran, too. President Trump did not did not endorse anybody. But in that race, and that, that made a big difference. It made a huge difference in Florida. So good for, uh, good for President Trump, who still has that magic pen. That magic voice. And then we still also, by the way, have CNN just continuing to stand by the story that is clearly a fake one, the one where they're, they claimed that President Trump knew in advance, knew in advance that there was this Russia meeting, and in fact, even knew in advance that there was going to be a situation where there was a hacking of Hillary Clinton's email. All of it turning out to be completely wrong. And Lanny Davis pointing out very succinctly that, you know what? Uh, I kind of was wrong about all this. I'm sorry about that. I, I wasn't right about all this. And yet CNN still continues to say, you know what, we're stand by a story. We're not going to do anything with it. 
when everybody else who's even reported it has retracted retracted their their commentary on it and, and said no we're not we're not doing this anymore. That's your landscape, folks. Kept my um gave me big doors open. Once again, you're you, you basically have a guy who still can't get it right when it comes to the rain and when it comes to the Jeep roof because, yeah, I uh, kept the Jeep roof, roof open again, scrambled this morning. I heard the, I heard the thunder and ran out, scrambled. wasn't that wet. I actually did a pretty good job. I've, I've, kind, of, I've kind of learned the fire drill here. Coming up just a little later on, Jimmy Carafano is going to be joining us. Also, uh, Christina Garrett, who's a friend of mine and an artist, has a big show coming out uh, uh, up soon, and we're going to have her on the show. She's going to come on in and regale us with some of her uh, stuff. Now, Christina happens to be – this is a really cool story, though, by the way. She's part of the Dan Reardon, uh, Sue Garrett family. Sue Garrett, you guys know, is Aunt Sue – She's a longtime friend of mine and, and just a, a great person. This is her daughter-in-law. And these individuals are all part of the Lieutenant Dan Reardon family. And Lieutenant Dan, of course, is an American hero. He's an individual who joined the Army Rangers. He's a guy who at, at one point wanted to be in the Air Force and couldn't be in the Air Force. So they said, hey, uh, you can't be a pilot. He goes, well, okay, let's see, let's see what, else, what else can I do. Oh, I know. I can, be a, I can be an Army Ranger. So he joins the Army and goes through Army Ranger school and everything else. Great kid from Viani. And he is his uh, twin brother. He has a twin brother, Nick. And Dan Reardon goes to Iraq and then is uh, killed. In an IED explosion there in 2007, in June 2007. And so uh, this family has dedicated their lives to helping other military families and beyond. And so anytime I can get a chance to kind of plug into them, catch up with them, catch up with the family. And Christina has been a longtime artist and just uh, is an amazing artist. She's going to be on with us just a little later on. She's going to come on in and uh, we're going to have a little fun. Meanwhile, really enjoyed this this deal on Fox News where really uh, because this has kind of like become the McCain hour of the Radio Free Almond show because I do have to follow up on this and and just kind of follow up on all the hullabaloo over John McCain. But if you check this out, Larry Elder, who was on Fox News pointing out just the absolute hypocrisy when it comes to the news media and their coverage of John McCain, because you'd think John McCain was like a former Democrat president, the way the news media is lauding this guy. And so these guys get on Fox News and I just I'm just I'm loving it here. Check it out. McCain's passing marks a new era for congressional checks on President Trump. The Post noting that McCain was a frequent critic of the president while heading the Senate Armed Services Committee, which will now be chaired by Senator James Inhofe, a Trump supporter, and Senator James Reich, who will take the Republican leadership post in the new Senate Foreign Relations Committee. 
when frequent Trump critic Senator Bob Corker steps down at the end of the year. The Post writes that this all makes for, quote, a sweeping change in how Congress may use its oversight authority to check the president's international agenda, according to current and former lawmakers, lobbyists and policy watchers, a changing of the guard with potentially enormous consequences for holding the president to account during crisis. Uh, Larry, I want to start with you. How is this how is this starting? Uh, Are you ready for the new era of checking President Trump? Because believe me, McCain was one of his fiercest critics. I don't know how this becomes a a new era, but apparently it does. You're here in the middle and you're in the hot seat. Uh, Does does the Washington Post have a point here when they raise that uh, that what's happening there in in Congress, some of the leadership? I love Larry Elder, by the way, to the president now going forward. You know, Molly, what I'm seeing here is a parade of hypocrites. Uh, The praise that's coming out for John McCain, of course, is well deserved. But where were these people praising his bipartisanship when he needed it in 2008 when he was running for president? The Washington Post admitted that they had more stories of Obama on the front page, more flattering stories of Obama, more photographs of Obama, more flattering photographs of Obama than McCain. Uh, The New York Times wrote a flattering editorial just the other day about John McCain, said we could use more men like him. Well, 2008, the New York Times and Obama for President had an editorial, and it said that John McCain's campaign is run based on, quote, class warfare, partisan divide, and even hints of racism, end of quote. Where were they then? This is just outrageous the way they treated him in 2008. Now, all of a sudden, he's this saint. Well, and couldn't be a truer statement Because these folks vilified John McCain back in the day, even predicting that he wouldn't even survive if he was elected president, called him too old, called him, you know, and the usual racist thing, too. Now, there's another thing happening in Florida, by the way, when I talked about this race there with Andrew Gillum, who's now the black nominee uh, on the Democrat side, who has basically just wiped the floor with his Democrat counterparts. And it was a fairly... Yeah, it was it was a fairly formidable challenge here. But how soon is this going to become ultimately all about race? Because now you have the Republican Ron DeSantis, and of course he is President Trump's guy. He's going to be out there, and ultimately what they're going to say is, "Oh, we need to you know we need the first black governor of of Florida, and anybody getting in this guy's way is going to be just like back in the days of Obama." But Ron DeSantis made a pretty good point because, once again, we have these ultra-liberal people. And, again, the pendulum swinging, it's, it's not an accident, it's, and it's not unusual for – in an era like this where there is, there is so much going on when it comes to a very active, conservative Republican president who is making – Huge changes, and, and 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 let me tell you something: the 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 effects have been amazing on this economy, and the effects have been amazing on our border, and the effects have been amazing in foreign policy, and so you're seeing some pretty marked changes. And President Trump is making a difference. That's making a lot of people angry. We understand that when Obama was in in 2008. Congress was summarily taken over right away by Republicans in 2010 because there was just such a drastic change in this country. And so you're going to you're going to get a certain level of this pushback. You're going to get a certain level of people who are going to come back 
and be even more liberal than anybody before them. We saw it in New York with Ocasio-Cortez, and we're seeing it now in Florida with Andrew Gillum. We kind of saw it locally in the St. Louis County prosecutor's race. So where, where suddenly Wesley Bell is the nominee for St. Louis County prosecutors, never prosecuted a soul. And, and he's ultra liberal and he's, he comes out of that, you know, Ferguson black lives matter movement. Although Wesley isn't exactly a, a crazy guy. I mean, I've interviewed him before and talked to him before. It's not like he's, you know, that nuts, but I'm just saying though, he's liberal and the pendulum did swing and it did go to that situation where, wow, they really did. There is a difference being made, but you know, it's not enough. That's the problem. It's not going to be enough when it comes to the, the, the midterms this time around. There's a strong possibility that Republicans are going to hold on to the, to the House. There might be some seats, but the idea that the Democrats take over the House, it's not a foregone conclusion. They're certainly not going to take over the Senate. We can pick up five seats. Republicans can. It's not a foregone conclusion. But still, the pendulum is swinging. And Ron DeSantis is pointing out, I thought he, I thought he had he had a uh, a pretty good line on uh, on Laura's show. He is the most liberal candidate that the Democratic Party has ever nominated in the state of Florida by a country mile in a governor's race. Um, he wants to abolish ICE. Uh, he wants a billion dollar tax increase. He wants a single payer health care system in Florida, which would bankrupt the state. Uh, I'm trying to make Florida even better. He wants to make Florida Venezuela. <laughs> No, <laughs> it's a good line, and and it's true, and and you've got these people who are making these, trying to make these rash changes and infuse their craziness into uh, the running of huge states like Florida. So Floridians definitely have a choice here, and there, I'm my prediction is they are not going to make this left-wing dude governor of Florida. It's just not going to happen. But you know what? You you just never know. I want to hear that again because I think it's a good line. I, I but it's it, but it's it's a good it's a big choice here. And governorships are important uh in a in a lot of ways because they they there are a lot of people who can get in the way of national progress, especially when it comes to uh, President Trump and the economy. There are a lot of people who can get in the way pretty pretty heavily of uh, progress in this country. And, and, and if they're governors, they can definitely just become real problems. And so you do need, you definitely do need people of the same party, especially in this case, running these states. I want to hear him again. That was a great line. Where did he come up with that? Candidate that some good the Democratic Party has ever nominated in the state of Florida by a country mile in a governor's race. Um, he wants to abolish ICE. Uh, he wants a billion-dollar tax increase. He wants a single-payer health care system in Florida, which would bankrupt the state. Uh, I'm trying to make Florida even better. He wants to make Florida Venezuela. He- <laughs> I just love that line. Good for you, Ron DeSantis. Way to go, buddy. Way to get out there and just uh, tell it like it is and, and, and say what's up.
But that's actually that that is what's happening, folks. You got a lot of people who are, uh, you know, who are going to be in 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 one way, shape, or form making some huge changes if we don't stop them. There's a lot of thing things a, a, a governor can do, and this guy gets in, and boom, uh, we are we are off to the races. But I, I don't think he's I don't think he has a chance in in hell of uh, of getting there. So one of the biggest uh, one of the most disturbing stories yesterday that I came across, and this was this is why it's so important for all of you to pay attention to not only the midterms but also to your own Republican Party. And and this is why it's so important for you uh, to make sure that you know that there are some people out there who are absolutely not on your side, even though they're in the same party. It was really kind of a bummer to see that there were 14 back in the day, 14 senators who voted against certain reforms that President Trump was trying to infuse. These are reforms that are, that are regarding sanctuary cities. These are reforms regarding the white-collar visas. I'm talking about the tech visas. I'm not talking about the farm visas or the, or the migrant worker visas, you know, those where they're picking strawberries or whatever it is. I'm talking about the white-collar visas. In order to understand the immigration problem, you really have to get behind the numbers and understand what's going on when it comes to the true numbers. Like who are the immigrants? Who are the who exactly is here and who's here illegally? And we learn that half of the illegals here are illegal because they overstayed their visas. So half of the people who are illegal in this country were invited here to begin with. So this idea of and and that's why it also kind of hits towards the whole wall controversy. And sometimes I think that. True reforms when it comes to the to the immigration issue in this country, true reforms actually may not require a wall. They'll require a cooperative Congress and cooperative Republicans who are going to help fix the system we have right now. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you about what the federal data is showing us about how uh, legal immigrants – are taking American jobs. And I'm talking about these are these are these are legal immigrants, but they're here legally because they're invited here through visa programs. And there are people here who aren't really coming necessarily for a better life, although they're getting one. But they're people who are actually invited here as a part of a process. A, a part of a process of infusing low-paying jobs and low skills into a white-collar job market on behalf of corporatists and others who want it that way. So these people who are coming here are oftentimes recruited to come here and take jobs away from people. But there's a new report out, and it's from the Center for Immigration Studies, and it's absolutely just Amazing when you when you hear all the uh, the, the details of uh, exactly what's going on and how the government is essentially competing against you in many ways or competing against your kids. In the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, uh, here we go with our 
our, our national anthem. Let's go, baby. Back here with the Discovery Design Studio, DiscoveryDesignInc.com. Thank you to Rick and Jerry Pogue and the rest of the team for being so supportive and so awesome. Had a really fun time last night hanging out with Ricky Hall and Jenna Perk. They're from Nutrition HQ. They're going to become sponsors of the show as well. Got a lot of people who are uh, hopping on board. Golden Oak Lending. They're going to kind of officially start in September, but they're still just uh, part of the crew. So we, we, we have to get people on schedules and things like that. And really appreciate... Mike Marino and Shannon and the rest of the team down there at Santino Cigars and Cocktails. Going to be hooking up with uh, Michael Proctor later on today. Proctor Drapery. Proctor spelled like doctor. ProctorDrapery.com. He's going to be coming back on the show. We know, of course, also that my insurance agent, Matthew Mitchell, is with me. Back with me. For your auto, home, and life, it's Matthew Mitchell, the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency. 855-QUOTE-ME. That's how it works, people. 855-QUOTE-ME. 
also has rates, low rates for you lovely young ones out there. Oh, by the way, uh, ABC News, you know, the (laughs) President Trump strikes a trade deal, you know, with with Mexico. And oh, by the way, also Dr. Naputi. Eric Deputy, he's going to start his show. You should see this new studio he has in his in his basement now, his man cave, and it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Doctor Deputy has some guts, man. I love his energy. That's why we are pals. But he's also really good at what he does. So for all your health needs, migraine headaches, stomach issues, whatever, he's got it all together for you. He's been fixing me. I got some shoulder thing going on. I don't know what that is. One time wasn't enough, so I have to go back to him and do it. Sometimes you've, you've gotten to the point where I've waited so long that and, and it's really not that bad. It just kind of pops up. I don't know. I don't want to be an old man complaining about my ailments. Hey, my sh- How are you? Well, my shoulder is down. You know, I didn't ask. I don't really. You know, you ask people sometimes, hey, how you doing? And you really don't. You, don't really, you, you really don't want to hear how they're doing. I mean, let's just be honest. You know, hi, how are you? It's just, hi, how are you? Don't really want to know how you are. But some people want to tell you. I don't want to be that guy. Hey, how are you? Well, you know, my shoulder is just this thing right here. It's like, okay, never mind. Forget I ever said anything. (laughs) All right, so President Trump strikes his trade deal with Mexico. And basically the news media is so busy with these fake stories Damn it, where is this N-word? It's, it's, it's not like I want to bring this story back, but where is the N-word? These people, Amorosa said she had the N-word on tape. Where the hell is it? You know, when, when are we going to actually hold these people to account and say, you know what, stop talking about the N-word on tape. Play it for us. But we never do. We just, we just kind of like accept this. Where did that story go? I, I, that, that was like the biggest news two weeks ago. That was the biggest news out there where, where people were obsessing over the story. And now I am because I want people to be held to account when they tell us a story that winds up not being true. Where is the N-word? Where is that on tape? You know, where, where, is the, where is the Russia collusion? I mean, you know, all this kind of stuff they keep pumping out there and no, and, and they can do it and they, they let it run a week and then they, they're done. It's like it's ho-hum, so what, whatever. I understand that. We let them get away with it all the time. And, and, and uh, that, but of course, they're not getting away with it to a certain degree because the fact of the matter is people are leaving CNN and these other organizations in droves. And so that, I'll, I'll let them, I'll let them pay the price all on their own, own selves. So President Trump strikes this trade deal with Mexico. It's kind of a, another means of revising NAFTA. Canada wasn't part of it, right? So anyway, the the network finally got around, this is ABC News, finally got around to reporting on the topic and gave it 37 seconds. You guys like this stuff, by the way, when I, when I give you the 
the media research council there because they, they, they're, they're basically over there at Newsbusters and they combat liberal media bias all the time. They're really good at it. But they love to do these things where they start, they start to add up. They take a stopwatch to the newscast. You guys like it when I tell you this kind of stuff because it's very informative to you about the relative importance that these news media outlets place on stories that are really important to you. And so – the ABC guys got around to talking about it, and they gave it they gave it 37 seconds. News yesterday on trade announced a new trade deal with Mexico, a revised NAFTA deal. But Canada wasn't part of this, and it's not clear you can have a NAFTA deal without Canada. Uh, you can't necessarily have one without Canada or without congressional approval, George. Whatever is ultimately done here will likely have to be approved by Congress. So they gave it 37 seconds, and the Today Show gave it 25 seconds. And at the same time, they, they're, when they do talk about it, they're basically poo-pooing it, as you, as you just heard. Well, you know, he has this deal, but you really can't, you know, this really can't happen without con- congressional approval. Well, yes, you're right. Thank you, Captain Obvious. But they're trying to poo-poo the thing because they don't want this to be a success because they're all a bunch of globalist Flying monkeys for the globalist powers that be. And it doesn't matter whether you're in the media or even in the Republican Party and beyond, because that's what I'm getting to now. That really is an important thing for all of you to consider and pay attention to when it comes to why, for instance, your son or daughter went to Rala, graduated with an engineering degree. And couldn't find a job. In fact, I will tell you that I know from personal experience, uh, in fact, it's Michael Proctor's son, Brandon, who had a pretty darn good tech degree, pretty strong tech degree. And this was uh, several years ago. And couldn't find a job for the life of him. And saw other people getting jobs who weren't even from here, weren't even from this country. And again, I'm not talking necessarily about people who have come here as as immigrants. Like I have a really a dear friend who is my Filipino friend, Chris, Dr. Chris. Uh, he came here as a young man, young kid uh, from the Philippines. And he came here because... He wanted a better life, and he became an American citizen. And you know, his wife Elira did the same thing, although she was she was born here. But I mean, but but she, her her family did the same thing. And I'm and I'm I'm not talking about people who have come here and established themselves kind of on their own. I'm talking about tens of thousands of people who have been imported here by our government through the visa programs to supply low-wage, white-collar jobs. It's funny because you think that a lot of the people out here, and again, I don't want you to, this isn't, this isn't meant to disparage anybody from another country and, 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 or, or invite ridicule of them. 
But there are a lot of people here in this country who were only here because they were essentially imported here through these tech visa programs that are approved by Congress and that are created by our government to to supply low income low wage jobs so that they could save money for their corporatist masters that's just the fact and republicans and democrats are all responsible for it the john mccains and the lindsey grahams of the world and it was very disappointing to see doubling back and and this kind of went underneath the radar Uh, There were 14 senators who stood in the way of President Trump's planned revisions that probably would have helped stave off some of these numbers I'm about to lay on you. Sanctuary cities would have have attacked that, but also would have adjusted the the programs, the, the visa programs. And I'm talking about to where you're going to reduce the number of these tech visas that are available out there to give Americans a fighting chance when it comes to their jobs. And it was sad to see many of our most conservative members of of the Republican Party voting against it. Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, Mike Lee, all voting with Susan Collins and Murkowski, the liberal Republicans. All because supposedly I think that they are thinking that, well, we we have a lot of agriculture in Texas and we need this and this and need that. But unfortunately, all they did was facilitate the continuance of the numbers I'm about to show you here. The problem is the bill was very broad and so you had a number of people who had issues with it for a number of different reasons. And that's kind of where we're, we're at here. So here it is. Federal data is showing that legal immigrants are filling a growing share of several white-collar professions that have seen very little salary growth since 2000. The Center for Immigration Studies shows how Congress basically imports foreign-born immigrants and visa workers to raise the labor supply by almost 50% in several white-collar science and technology jobs, ensuring much lower salaries for Americans in those flooded job markets. So basically, you're looking at wage growth in the blue-collar end of things, but you're not seeing a whole lot of wage growth in the white-collar jobs, and you're not seeing a lot of wage growth in the white-collar jobs because – you don't have the kind of competition that you normally would have because these technology jobs and science jobs and people who have them can get pluck anybody from anywhere and they don't need to fight for you. They don't need to fight for talent here in this country when they can get cheap talent from overseas. The Center for Immigration Studies looked at the percentage of foreign-born workers in 474 separate occupations. So they looked at the percentage of foreign-born workers in 474 separate occupations. There are 65 occupations in which 
more than a quarter of the workers are immigrants, both legal and illegal. So there are still somewhat 16.5 million natives. Uh, so, there, so, so one out of eight uh, natives in the, in, the, in the labor force. There are just 24 occupations out of 474 in which illegal immigrants comprise 15% of the workers. It's unbelievable. And you think, well, we all need these people working on farms. They found that only 4% of illegal immigrants and 2% of all immigrants even work on farms. So this idea that, you know, everybody's just picking blueberries is ridiculous. The loss of wages is very, very apparent in the jobs where migrants have doubled or nearly doubled the supply of labor. For example, legal and illegal migrants hold a slight majority of jobs in blue-collar lines like agricultural sorting, construction plasterers, sewing machine operators, tailors, and and other miscellaneous things. Uh, Immigrants also comprise 40% or more of eight additional jobs, maids, textile workers, taxi drivers, and painters. But that's not what we're talking about here as the as the deepest concern government your government facilitated the flood of new labor in high tech white collar jobs that were widely seen before that as a pathway to prosperity and a secure future you guys know what i'm talking about but now but now you know why your son or daughter, born here, raised here, and then schooled here, sometimes can't find a job in certain very well-put-together industries where they could make some money. It's because foreign-born workers comprise 43% of medical and biological scientists 38% of physical scientists, 38% of software developers, 36% of computer engineers, 31% of economists, 28% of uh, uh, physicians and doctors, 27% of the uh, other uh, electronics engineers, and, 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 and 25% of the software programmers. Now you're saying, yeah, because but we just don't have that kind of talent here in this country, and so these companies have to go look for it. That's the biggest bunch of bull crap anybody can ever tell you. And I realize that, oh yeah, you know, there's there's a we're compromised when it comes to our math studies, and we just don't have smart students here. That's a lie. Now, unfortunately, what's happened is because of the dead end nature of some of these areas here. There has been less of a focus, for instance, on STEM classes, and we're just now getting around to doing more of that. I get it. But you realize part of the reason why some of these areas are seen as dead end, don't you? Because the government has made them dead end. The government has made them dead end for your sons and daughters. 
it, it only takes a couple of rounds, a couple of generations where suddenly somebody realizes, oh, what's the use of me doing this when there just aren't jobs available? There are plenty of jobs available, but the government, because it is so tied to all of its corporatist masters who want nothing but a bunch of low-wage workers, in appeasing them, they're putting Americans out of work. And and th- those are huge numbers, people. Forty three percent of medical and biological scientists are foreign born. Now, there's also the claim somehow that these individuals are smarter than the average American. That's not true. We have we I have given you information that is factually based from studies before this showing that many of these people aren't any more smart or well-educated than Americans are, and sometimes they're less educated than Americans are. So and, – and they're all getting these packages – when it comes to their visas because they're using – these companies are basically using temp agencies. They're given a, a lot of visas and they're using these temp agencies to get these people in. And then – and now we and now we have uh, – and again, these aren't people who are just teaming over our borders or whatever looking for – a better opportunity. We're going out and recruiting these people. We're allowing these companies to use these recruiting agencies to go out to foreign countries and say, hey, we got a whole buttload of these visas for you, these tech visas, and we want to hire you and bring you over. They're, they're basically just systematically importing people here to take jobs that Americans could do, but the companies want, don't want to pay them to do it. They don't want to pay them a lot of money. And then you're going to hear from the globalists like you did yesterday, well, Americans don't want to pay a lot for their goods, and, and it's, they're just going to drive up the cost, which is another bunch of bullshit. Compe- competition is what lowers costs. That's, that's the key. More competitive jobs, a more competitive atmosphere will create higher wages naturally. But this idea somehow that the, it's because you want, you know, $1.99 flip-flops instead of $2.03 flip-flops is ridiculous. It's, especially in this tech world here. It's not, it's not costing you any more money. All it's doing is, 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 is po- they're pocketing more money in these, in these businesses because they've got cheap labor. And and the, and again, these people aren't any smarter than your son or daughter. There's there. That's the biggest falsity that we're seeing out there is this idea somehow that we're 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 pulling over the best and brightest from Southeast Asia and India and everything else, and that's just not true. They did studies that have shown these organizations have done studies showing these people aren't any more educated than than Americans. 
So this is why we need the reform that we didn't get last time around. This is why we need to push our lawmakers to do the right thing. This is why we need to ask, you know, Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, why are you voting with Susan Collins and Murkowski on these things? And I, I, I get it that they have to represent their areas, and Texas is a, a, a you know, a, a place that they need more migrant, whatever. I don't know. Or maybe you just don't want to. Maybe you shouldn't just have such a broad bill that you have that many people who might have issues with it. I don't know. And this isn't. This is not going to get any better if 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 we go with yet another Republican's dumb idea. And then there's this uh, GOP congressman, Kevin Yoder, who was introduced to Bill to, list, to, to lift the country caps on employer-sponsored immigrants. Keep in mind, the words I'm using, employer-sponsored immigrants, that means these people aren't coming over here because they saw the Statue of Liberty and they're thrilled and have always wanted to you know, make it in America. No, these are people who are recruited by companies. Recruited by companies using recruitment outfits that are given a lot of visas that they could hand out to people. I, but it's it's a whole racket. It's a whole process. They, they, these things are operating like temp agencies, and they get the box of visas delivered to their doorstep, and then they go out and farm those out and, and uh, on behalf of companies that they work for, they're contracted to. There are all kinds of uh, companies contract with these agencies to recruit these people from overseas. And this guy, a GOP congressman, wants to lift the caps on employer-sponsored immigrants. So he's, he's thinking, well, uh, I know you guys don't like those illegals uh, you know, coming across the border, but comp- employer-sponsored immigrants are okay. It's like, no, uh, we, I, I don't believe the government ought to be in the business of – formulating a pathway for competition against its own citizens. I don't, I don't believe that that's right for a, a government to compete against its own people or facilitate the competition against its own people. doesn't make any sense. And, and also all these GOP donors out there, all these corporatist donors out there, they want more of these visa workers. And, and, and that's why President Trump should not drop this uh, four pillars immigration reform plan. Uh, nor should he drop these efforts to shrink the visa worker programs, which should be shrunk. Of course, we had that 2018 vote there in February, and that's when the Rand Paul, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, and then a bunch of other liberal Republicans all blocked the president's four pillars uh, pro-American reform. Blocked it. And, and it's and it's why we 
need more senators who are going to who are going to support it one way or the other. It's a high inflow of extra workers insured by Congress is having a huge impact then on on wages, a huge impact on the ability of your sons and daughters to get jobs once they've graduated from college. And it's causing a huge problem in this country. And our Republican and Democrat Washington representatives are facilitating this. It's horrible. And it needs to change. There was uh, the National Academy of Sciences. They did a study. And this was a 2016 report. That Americans lose, and this is the National Academy of Sciences. These aren't just a bunch of, like, this isn't like a, a right-wing anti-immigration outfit. They are assessing wages of individuals, Americans in the sciences. And they say that Americans lose 5.2% of their wages and salaries. They lose 5.2% of their wages and salaries when the government uses immigrants to raise the labor supply the way they're doing. And the lost 5.2% of this income does not go to immigrants or disappear in the air, as I'm reading here. It's transferred to employers and investors in extra profits. So, so these, these, the, uh, these wages that are lost by Americans are going directly into the pockets of the very people who are promoting this kind of legislation by, by donating to these politicians and, and by greasing their wheels. So it's kind of uh, it's it's kind of a hard and 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 in the weeds kind of thing to get into, but if you just look at it on its face, you can see the headline basically is the government is competing against you in the formulation by using its visa programs. The government is facilitating competition against its own citizens. That's why it needs to be handled here and, 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 and attacked here. And President Trump's four pillars program, as well as the visa reforms, need to be need to be addressed. And we need to force our Congress people and our elected representatives to stick to it. But you gotta keep an eye on this stuff. Because if you don't, these people are going to run roughshod over you. We saw it with the trade deals. Did you before Donald Trump, did you even know that the level at which Americans are being undercut by trade deals? Did you even know it was an issue? Some of you did. But a lot of you were afraid to talk about it, right? Because if you if you talk too much about ending these terrible trade deals, then you weren't a supporter of free trade, right? You you weren't a real conservative if you'd questioned trade deals. Remember those days? The words from Laura Ingram were the ones that really captivated a lot of us when we pay, were paying attention. This was a long time ago. And she said, it is not 
not conservative to try to change the trade deals we're involved in. There's no such thing as free trade if it's not fair trade. That came from a conservative like Laura Ingram, and this was several years ago. And it wasn't until President Trump came along that we even recognized, yeah, you know what? You're right. These damn people have been screwing us for decades now, Republicans and Democrats, people in our own party. You know, the the, the Romney Republicans, let's put it that way. And now you know why they hated Donald Trump so much and they didn't want him in office. Because of this. And, and And it's very simple because these guys and their and their company sponsors and their corporate sponsors and their globalists were making a ton of money off these programs. I mean, hell, when you can get a bunch of less educated, low-wage workers from foreign countries on an employer-sponsored basis, bring them over here, set them up like, you know, like, like a sweatshop practically, and they're just happy to be here anyway for crying out loud. So you've got them, and meanwhile, you're depressing wages, and you're saving a ton of money. You're pocketing the rest of the money. So, so it's no wonder these people didn't want President Trump elected president. This wasn't about uh, decency or about tweets or about the president's uh, potty mouth. This was all about this, all about this money, all about the tons of money these companies are saving by, by utilizing Congress's approval of these visa programs and utilizing these temp agencies that are handing them out like, like uh, birthday party invitations and undercutting wages in your jobs. That's why. And then, and then you're like, well, yeah, uh, you, back in the day you were thinking, well, it must be because there just aren't, you know, there just aren't enough jobs out there, I guess. I don't know. What do you know? What do you tell your 26-year-old when they, when they still can't find a job in their industry after, after graduating from Rolla with a degree in physics or a degree in biological sciences or whatever it happens, computer programming, whatever? And then people say, yeah, but we don't have enough of these computer program uh, schools and people aren't paying attention. Well, that's because for decades we've been told that uh, there aren't any jobs in that sector. It's, it's, it's too competitive and blah, blah, blah. I've known people who literally have – well, I'll give you an example. They were at one of our, um, one of our communications companies and – he wound up training a guy from India who wound up taking his job. That person from India wasn't, wasn't over here like, a, like the teeming masses that came through Ellis Island. He was here sponsored by the communications company that utilized these visa programs to hire this guy and get these people over here because they don't want to pay Americans. And I don't, I don't want wages artificially increased, but you know what? The more jobs there are, the better wages there are. The more competition, the better wages. That's just the way it goes. But right now, that study from the Academy of Sciences 
is saying that, you know what, when, when Americans have their salaries dipped by 5.2%, uh, that money's going into the pockets of the corporatists. It's not going to save anybody else money or do anything else, or nor to the, the immigrants who are here. But yeah, back in the day, you were afraid to talk about stuff like this. Listen, bring this thing up, and, you, and, and suddenly you're a white nationalist, right? You're afraid to talk about this kind of stuff because, oh, come on, we're a melting pot. This diversity is what made this country great. Yeah, that's true. But when the diversity is manufactured by your country solely for the purpose of, of saving the corporatist masters some money, that's not the little nice little melting pot culture that, that we want, right? When, when all it is really is just a workforce recruited by a company utilizing your own government's permissions. It's really crazy. Uh, and again, before this, you were scared to talk about trade deals because otherwise you weren't conservative. Oh, yeah. You, free trade, it's a hallmark of conservatism and all the National Review Republicans. Fie! You, you shall not utter a word about renegotiating NAFTA or any of these other deals. Fie! You shall not utter and I uh, go to uh, Europe and, and these conferences and these trade packs and, and tear these up. You shall not do that because we're all about free trade. And, of course, they, sometimes they'll even quote Ronald Reagan who was, was about free trade, but he was about fair trade. She the tariffs Ronnie Reagan put out there. But for whatever reason, we were tricked by our Romney Republican people for a couple of decades now, tricked by our McCain's and Lindsey Graham's of the world into believing that we shall not utter a word about bad trade deals. Otherwise, we are not real Republicans. And, and, and we, and, and we ha- must... Only talk about free trade and then walk away. But use the words free trade and suddenly you're a Republican. But if you go against it, you're not then. You're not part of the club. Same thing with this immigration thing. This is the new frontier, in my opinion, for conservatives uh, to to, to tackle this and, and start looking for more fairness in our immigration policies. And I realize oftentimes conservatives uh, don't like the word fair. Because it always seems, it always sounds like it's a liberal notion, and that it is a. When you talk about fairness, you're talking about engineering fairness and social engineering and all this kind of stuff, and 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 leveling the playing field so everybody is the same. That's not what we're talking about here. Much like it is with trade being free, but it's not free if it's not fair. Immigration and this kind of stuff. If, it, if it's not – if it's only done because it's for cheap labor and the government is facilitating it, that's not fair. And again, release yourself from this idea that as a conservative you can't talk about fairness or, or, that, or, that, it's, or that it's something that, that is making you whine, a, a whiner. Let me tell you something. This government 
immigrant industry is not fair to the American worker. It's, it's not fair to you. It's not fair to your kids. It's not fair to uh, individuals who are spending a mint going to college only to find that they get out and they can't find a job because Haji has it. Now, that's not white nationalism or xenophobic. That's just me saying I don't want our government competing. I don't want the government that I'm paying taxes to competing against my children. That's a pretty easy concept to figure out, and that's not white nationalism. That's not being a xenophobe. That's not being a racist. That's me just simply making a humble request that my government, please don't compete against my children. Don't compete against my neighbor. Is that too much to ask, really? Is that too much for me to ask, is it? For, for my government not to facilitate this competition? It's not too much to ask. I like this. This is from the Center of, uh, uh, for Immigration Studies. It's very easy and, and, and very succinct. So here, here uh, this, is, this is under the title of there are no jobs Americans won't do. Because we've been told for a long time, Americans just don't want to do those jobs. Like baloney, they don't. But there's another thing we've been told because we need to be, be quiet. Remember, you're not a real Republican if you don't talk about free trade. You're a racist and a xenophobe if you complain about all these people from foreign countries coming over here and taking American jobs. You're not a real American. Remember, there's the Statue of Liberty. Don't piss off the Statue of Liberty now. You don't want Jim Acosta all over you from CNN. Look at the Statue of Liberty. It says it right there. If you don't, if you don't like it, you're not a real American. You're not a nice American. And meanwhile, we're just getting screwed by our government. Again, um, I want people to come here for better things. I, I want people to uh, – I want to take people in from, from other lands who want more opportunities. But I don't want my government creating a program – that is a temporary agency recruiting workers to compete with me or my kids. When I'm paying taxes and they're utilizing my tax dollars and everything else, and then they're turning around and, and competing against me. Anyway, this is an interesting little bit from the Center for Immigration Studies. One of the most often made arguments with regard to immigration is that they only do jobs that Americans don't want. But in a recent analysis, we actually looked at all 474 occupations as defined by the Department of Commerce and found that there were only six that were majority immigrant, and those jobs only account for about 1% of the U.S. workforce. If we look at those jobs where immigrants do tend to be the most concentrated, even in jobs like maids, we found that one-half were U.S.-born. And we also looked at construction labor, and it turns out two-thirds are U.S.-born, uh, and, and even three-fourths of janitors in the United States were actually born here. Um, so it turns out that even jobs that people sometimes think are overwhelmingly done by immigrants are, in fact, uh, the majority of workers were born in this country. Um, we also found that uh, high immigrant occupations do tend to be jobs done by less educated, lower income Americans, though there certainly are exceptions to that. 
Um, and what that means is that, that if there is an impact from immigration, it's going to be primarily felt by less educated and lower income Americans. Now, we also looked at illegal immigrants by occupation, and we found that there doesn't appear to be any occupations that the majority of workers are Sorry. legal immigrants. Um, even in agriculture, there are still lots of legal immigrants and even native-born Americans who do agricultural work. Overall, only about 4% of all legal immigrants actually work in agriculture. Many more work in construction or retail or building, cleaning, and maintenance. The bottom line, though, is that immigration tends to create the most competition for low-income Americans, and Congress should at least consider this question when setting immigration levels in the future. So he just pointed out how Democrats who would tell you they stand up for the working man and the lower income people, on their end, they're lying to you. And Republicans who claim they're standing up for freedom and everything else, they're lying to you too because they're facilitating all these tech visa programs and those kinds of things. Again, it's an example of Republicans and Democrats screwing hardworking Americans. Working against us every single time. We need to change this immigration program, the tech visa program, and we need to be not afraid of talking about this and raising the red flags about this. This is an economic issue. It's not about race. It's not about xenophobia. It's not about any of that. I'm going to be on a Pascal show this morning. Let me see if I can call him now. Uh, yeah, he has a he has an internet show. It's like a TV show. It's like a talk show. Pascal Babouf. He was in here earlier. What he's going to ask me? Let me see if I can call him. Something's up with my phone. I don't know what it is, but it's going crazy on me. Everybody's stuck in traffic. Let me see if I can get him. I wonder if Kara uh, Files is going to be available later on, too. Let's see. Let me see if I can call him. Come on, man. Pick up your phone. Pick up the damn phone. Pick up your phone, Pascal. Hello? What's up, Rascal? Hey, what's up, man? Rascal Pascal. <laughs> what's going on? Hey, man. You're live on the air. You know that, right? 
no, but now I know. Yeah, What's now you know, on? so don't be running your potty mouth either. So I know that. <laughs> I know that's, I know that's <laughs> how you roll. I'm trying to be as good as I can. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be on with you today at 10 o'clock this morning. Yes, sir. On I'm the looking pe- forward to it, man. Uh, and I want to say good morning to all the uh, radio, uh, radio-free almanites out there, because I know you got a lot of people who tune into your show. Um, so good morning to everybody. Um, you know, I'm really looking forward to having you on. It's going to be a really fun show. All kinds of different things are going to be going on. We're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited. I, I think you're. I, I think you're excited too, or I hope you better be. Excited. I am, buddy. I, you know, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be wide ranging, and it's going to be on at ten o'clock, and it's and it's it streams on the Facebook Live, correct? It's so it's just they just go to your Facebook page, and we'll be there, right? Yep, yep. You, if you just go straight to facebook.com forward slash the Pascal Show, uh, you'll be able to tune in from, uh, live right then, right then and there. And also, also, I want to say this as well: we do have a segment on my show called Burning Questions where viewers can comment down below their questions specifically for the guest that's on the show. So all you Almanites that are watching right now, definitely when you're watching the show, please tune in at 10 a.m. But don't be afraid to uh, chime in, throw in a question that you have specifically for Jamie, uh, and we will make sure during that segment, burning questions, we will make sure those questions are being read and asked live on the show. I see. So, so, yeah. so they can ask anything they want to, right? Anything they want. Anything they want. And we are just going to, you know, obviously me and my team are going to look those, those, through those questions throughout the show. And then we are going to, uh, you know, uh, try to read as many of, of those questions as we can, you know, as long as it's not something that we haven't already talked about or already asked before. Right. So, right. Uh, so yeah. Okay. And, you know, of course, we're going to be we're going to be going in today, so we're going to be we're going to be getting the uh, I guess as they would say uh, we're going to get Jamie to spill the tea, if you will, on a whole bunch of stuff. So it's going to be uh, a lot of fun, and it's going to be a really great exclusive interview with you, man. And I'm, honestly, I'm very honored to have you come on and talk to me. Uh, I know it's been a long time since you've been out there on a, on an interview. Yeah. So I'm really I'm really really honored to be the first person to sit down and, and like really rap with you about some things. That that'll be know? that'll be great, man. You know, we'll we'll talk about some stuff. I'm sure that there's a lot of things that people have uh uh been interested to to, to know, although I've been I've, I've been as open as possible here, but you know, I'm reaching a different audience even with you uh with your people exactly. too. So it'll be it'll be good, man. Um we'll yeah. Yeah, uh, and, and I've known you a while, man. I, I love your show. You're very talented, and this Thanks, this whole setup is. It looks like a talk show, though, right? Like it looks like like Johnny Carson almost, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, man. You know, it's a it, you know, it's a, a right now. Obviously, we do the show in the morning, so it's a it's a morning show with a late night feel. So you know, there's still comedy. There's still you know, it's still variety. Sometimes there's skits uh, and uh, musical guests and all that kind of stuff. You know, and then you know if we have time in the show. We'll most likely play some sort of game or do some activity with you. Um, if there's time, you know, it all depends on how the interview goes. If it goes long, then the interview is more important in my personal opinion, but we might, you know, but if it, if it doesn't go as long as we expected, then 
we might just, uh, you know, throw in a little game, you know. And don't worry, I'm not squirting any water in your face this time, <laughs> so you're safe. Uh, but we're going to have some fun um, for sure, you know. So people who are watching right now, uh, you know, all, all your people that are tuning in and watching, all you Almanites, definitely tune in around 10 o'clock on facebook.com forward slash the Pascal Show. All right, brother. Get ready for a good time. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it, man. And, and uh, it's going to be fun, 10 a.m., and I will be there. I'll be square. And we're finally pulling it off. I'm glad about that. And so uh, ready to rock, buddy. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to it. Buddy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put a link up there. I'll put a link up there on my Facebook page uh, so we can get it all going. And, and we'll uh, awesome. we'll make it happen. But I appreciate you having me. Hey, anytime, brother. And then we'll, your family. So. Yeah, absolutely. And then we will get you uh, back in here uh, that, at some hey. point. Yeah, name the time of the date. I'm there. <laughs> Did you have fun you know, at the celebrity waiter deal? Yeah, I had a really great time. Uh, you know, it, it's funny how every year gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's more and more uh, faces that you, you know, go, oh, my God, I just saw you on TV. or uh, You know what I mean? It's, it, it's really cool when you uh, to see how much that, sh- that, that event has uh, really grown and expanded. And I've only done it three years so far. But in the past three years, it has just gotten bigger and thicker and so much that it was so hard to, uh, to raise money because everybody, there were so many celebrities. There were so many yeah. people already just, you know, nailing, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, nailing people who are at tables and stuff. It was like, oh, you're the fourth per- person that's come up to our table. <laughs> I know, like, I know. Dang. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was so yeah. hard, but it, but that's really cool that yeah, you know, uh, early on it was already you know just uh, people just they they raised more money than they did last year. They they beat their their uh, their quota, I guess their their end goal. The crisis um, nursery, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, it yeah, was it was good. Nursery is amazing. You know, it's interesting yeah, too it because really I, it was it was kind of interesting. The celebrity waiter thing is funny because. Uh, like when I first started doing it, and this is how far it's grown. So when I first started doing it, you know, you had like tables that you were, you know, you had you were assigned a bunch of tables. Uh, but now there are, you know, first of all, so many celebrities involved. Yeah, that some some of us just come and we're just standing around. We're just like, we're, yep. we're just kind of like looking. You know, we got our aprons on, but really, really, really not doing anything. So. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was that was a little bit of my dilemma, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I go in, I ran in there, and uh, you know, I'm expecting to go just kill it as always. And the you know, I went to five in the first, you know, within the first thirty minutes of the whole thing, I went to five different tables, and all those tables were like, "Yeah, uh, such and such was already here," or so you know, we already got our, we already did our donation. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh man, you know, maybe. Um, I'm looking forward to see what they do next year, um, and maybe they expand to <laughs> maybe some other uh, restaurants inside yeah. of West County Mall. I don't, I don't know. You yeah. know what I mean? But, uh, but because there were so many um, celebrities that were so down to be a part of it, uh, they wouldn't have been able to uh, pass their 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 goal if it wasn't for everybody who came in too. So, you know, so uh, it, it was a an amazing, amazing turnout. And then That's some of these, and then, and then some of these people. Uh, oh, by the way, hey Matt, uh, Christine is outside, buddy. If you don't mind uh, running out and getting there, my friend Christine. Yeah, man. Uh, 
And then some people just came out and then just they just hung outside like they're the celebrity waiters, but they're like, yeah, man, what's up? They're like, you know, and they, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't wear, they didn't wear, I'm not wearing no apron, you know. It's like they stood outside and did there and just kind of oh, flat handed. Yeah. It was pretty funny. But it was, it was a good yeah, time man. had by all. But I will be there, buddy. Okay. Uh, I'll be there. I'll be square. I'll be there uh, in time and, and uh, 10 o'clock a.m. on the okay. Pascal show. And we're going to do, uh, have okay. some fun, do an interview, be just like Johnny Carson. And then it's going to be oh. on the Facebook Live. And so I'll put a link up there on my Facebook page, and uh, we'll be in. Okay? All right. Cool, All right, man. buddy. That's uh, Pascal. Right. Thank you, brother. That's the Pascal Show. And you can find him. but You can just find him on Facebook and check it out then. It'll be, uh, it'll be fun for all, my friends. Fun for all. Construction smells of corruption. I manipulate to As promised in just a few. To go around saga. My friend Christina Kling Garrett of Klings and Things Photography. She's got a show coming. Iconic images of St. Louis. So she'll be in in just a few. Old friend of mine. Great backstory, too. I have one of her iconic images, I believe, in my. You, you might have seen it when I was doing my Facebooks. From my, is she, you guys, is, you guys know she's outside. You guys hear what I said? Okay, cool. All right, cool. I'm hoping that she's she's probably somewhere out there in the, oh, maybe in the rain. <laughs> oh Lord! Congratulations to. The United States of America and this fantastic, this fantastic economy we're living through. I mean, once again, we've seen the GDP at an all-time high. She's still calling me. Sure, she's is she out there or is she? Uh, Oh, what's that, Morgan? Oh, okay. Um, okay, okay. So, yeah. And, and that's why it's all the more important, folks, in the midterms to make sure that we keep our eye on the ball in preserving the economic strides that have been made by President Trump and his efforts to deregulate, his efforts to lower taxes. Because if we suddenly switch over and we've got a Congress that is dominated by liberal Democrats and liberal Republicans... We're going to have a huge, huge problem on our hands. We cannot allow these people to undo the strides that we have made. Consumer confidence is at an 18-year high. Workers are reporting the highest job satisfaction since 2005. 
I was uh, once again seeing these guys on CNBC singing the praises of this uh, of this the, the cannabis industry. <laughs> I'm wondering if I'm ever going to get involved in that. Like, there's apparently like one or two companies that are all focused on that. And then here's one more thing. People of affluence are spending a ton of money, too, and it's all trickling down. Tiffany and Company reported soaring profits in sales. Tiffany. These are, they're selling, you know, what I'm, you know what Tiffany does. Beautiful jewelry, everything else. They reported soaring profit in sales in the latest quarter. And let's see, worldwide sales rising 12% from a year earlier to $1.1 billion. And apparently luxury jewelry buyers are just all over the place and buying a larger volume of goods right now. And so it doesn't matter whether it's at Target or at Tiffany, because Target is doing great too. And part of the reason why they're doing great is because consumer confidence is at all-time high. And the retail businesses out there are doing fantastic. So... So are we. Now, back to what's at stake here in the midterms. You got to make sure it doesn't matter whether it's at state level or it's at the national level. You got to get people in there who are going to continue to uphold and buy into the economic principles espoused by President Trump and you for that matter. We got some we got some of these uh, left wingers kind of creeping into the the political vernacular here. We've saw that in New York with with a socialist Casio Cortez. And we might see it in Florida. This guy Andrew Gillum, who is a very far left Democrat, shocked everybody last night in Florida. A lot of it had to do with the fact that there were a lot of people running on the Democrat side. So I think these people all just devoured each other, and there was Andrew Gillum. But Ron DeSantis, I think, came up with it with the with the best line of anybody last night when he was talking about his his opponent. I got to turn off. Turn off Little Feet so you can hear it in all of its uh, full glory. He's on with Laura Ingram last night. And DeSantis is the one who got the the approval of President Trump. President Trump goes into a place and says, I like this guy. And that guy or gal suddenly becomes the nominee. It's, it's pretty crazy and and really doesn't do, it, do great in terms of his uh, golden touch, the Midas touch. And DeSantis benefited from that in Florida. Uh, Rick Scott also prevailed, too, by the way, just in case you're wondering. And then over there in Arizona, where the president did not delve in, uh, the uh, Salty won that one. And Arpaio and Kelly Ward did not do do well and so uh, wound up winning that one. But but President Trump didn't get involved in that race at all uh, for a variety of reasons, I think. But But he didn't get involved in it at all. Anyway, here's Ron DeSantis talking about his opponent, uh, Andrew Gillum. And, th- and Florida, you never know. I mean, Florida could go a little crazy. But, but I told you earlier in the week about the 
poll numbers in Florida for President Trump, and they are skyrocketing. So I'm not quite sure whether that's going to help. It probably won't help the Democrat there in Florida. And Florida likes Republican governors, as you as you well know. But DeSantis had a great line when he talked about Andrew Jill. Listen to this. The most liberal candidate that the Democratic Party has ever nominated in the state of Florida by a country mile in a governor's race. Um, he wants to abolish ICE. Uh, he wants a billion-dollar tax increase. He wants a single-payer health care system in Florida, which would bankrupt the state. Uh, I'm trying to make Florida even better. He wants to make Florida Venezuela. <laughs> I love it. All right. Whoa! Hey, 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 hey. Thank you. Welcome back, little feet. Let's bring Christina in here. Let's do that. The artiste. Hello, Christine. Hi. Wow. Look at you. Christine Garrett. Uh, now, I, I use, I have to use, of course, the cling, don't oh, I? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Please. <laughs> Christine Kling Garrett, you have a show coming up. And, I do. Uh, and, and let's, go, let's go back in time just a little bit. Uh, and, and first of all, and how we know each other, first yeah. of all. And, uh, and, and this is a great story because Christine is the uh, daughter of Aunt, You guys know Aunt Sue, right? Sue Garrett. And uh, Sue is a wonderful woman and has been a longtime friend. Is just the sweetest. And uh, we call her, I call her Aunt Sue. Well, because that's what you guys call her. I mean, well, that's what. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, oftentimes, although she's your mother in law. But Aunt Sue is a Vietnam veteran. And also the aunt, I call her Aunt Sue, because mainly because she's the aunt of Lieutenant Dan Reardon. And those of you who have been listening to the Almond Show for a while uh, know about may, might know about the story of Lieutenant Dan Reardon. And uh, Lieutenant Dan, uh, just the, the, among the bravest of, of our American warriors, uh, Vianney High School graduate and uh, twin brother of Nick and part of this wonderful family. And Aunt Sue is, uh, is Lieutenant Dan's uh, aunt. And then also she has uh, sons, kids of her own. And, uh, and Christine is married to one of them. So I'm, I think I'm getting, I think <laughs> I'm getting, getting this right, right? Yep. And, and, and so uh, Aunt Sue has, and Janine, who is uh, Lieutenant Dan's mom, mm-hmm. they've been very active in, in military issues and, and in, in helping military families. And every time there has been, you know, a death in, in, in the St. Louis area, even after Lieutenant Dan was killed, there was Aunt Sue, there was Janine, there's the family, mm-hmm. the Garretts and the Reardons all coming forward and, and helping. And I'll go back quickly to explain the story of Lieutenant Dan. So uh, Vianney High School graduate, uh, wanted to join the Air Force and be a fighter pilot or whatever, had uh, eye issues or had some vision issues that kept him out of the Air Force. And so maybe other people go, well, I guess then I'll just go and, you know, get in, in some other industry. Uh, but not Lieutenant Dan. He wanted to be in the military. The, the service in the military runs uh, deep in the Reardon family. 
uh, Aunt Sue being a, a great example of that, and his uncles as well. So then he, he says, well, I'm just going to go then join the Army. I'll be maybe an Army Ranger or something. <laughs> and that's what he did. And uh, he became an Army Ranger, uh, obviously went, went and then went to Iraq and was a lieutenant there. And in June of 2007 was killed in an IED, in a, uh, his IED explosion and, and while leading his, his men there. And so it was a it was a hugely uh, tragic event, uh, and, and one that was certainly devastating to the Reardon family and the Garretts. And but that didn't, but that just simply gave them all the more desire and reason to not only stand up for our military, and, and but also stand up for families who uh, have been affected by everything, whether it be death, injuries, what have you, uh, and, and have always proudly kept Lieutenant Dan's name prominent, uh, his memory prominent, because uh, they, of course, very proud of Lieutenant Dan, very proud of, the, of his service. And so uh, we have uh, Lieutenant DanReardon.com, is it, or is it .org? I can't remember. It's anything. .org. .org. Uh, and that's a site where you can go and you can see this whole story about Lieutenant Dan and about, about all things related to his service. But also they have a scholarship fund uh, for Viani that they are actively promoting. They have trivia nights and all kinds of things like that. And so uh, it's really cool. But this family is great. And uh, so it's been an honor uh, being part of your great family. And so how are you all doing, by the way? We're good. Everything's going really well. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes you guys, maybe at one of the auctions or whatever, will see a... Uh, well, yeah, that's what I wanted to show you. Yes, exactly. This so this is one of the pieces, and it's Viani Griffin. Oh wow, it's the Griffin. Yeah, I don't know whether you guys. I guess you really can't. Well, because we're kind of. Uh, well, we'll we'll uh, we're kind. Of, we don't have a close up shot of you, uh, but you. Uh, yeah. This was something that started um, after all of this. I mean, because I knew you guys, and then and then you you've always kind of dabbled a little bit in yeah. photography, right? Correct. And so, so you have always kind of like been into this, but then it became like you started your own business at that point. Correct. So tell me about it. Well, I grew up in a newspaper office, and my mom was the writer and my dad was the photographer, so I wanted to go to school and be a writer. And then after that, I was like, mm, I kind of miss photography. And so right around 2007, 2008, I got back into photography and then started Clings and Things in 2011. Clings and Things. Yes. And, and that's now on the web, but do you have, do you have a... Uh, it is. But brick and mortar, or is it just on the web it's right now? It's just on the web Okay, right good. Yeah. And, and I actually am the proud possessor of one of your beautiful photographs. Yeah. That one will be on the show, too. Oh, it will be. Yep. Okay. So, and that that is uh, the pageant, and it's just a great picture. And so, you have a show coming up uh, that, that features the iconic images of St. Louis. Correct. So, it's a lot of... St. Louis through my eyes, and I'm not a St. Louis native, so I kind of go find things that I think are unique and special and cool and take a picture of it from my perspective and my vantage point to kind of highlight what I think is cool about it. So uh, how do we, where where are we going to see this, where is it going to be, and what's up? It is going to be on display at Hilltop House in Webster Groves from September 7th through October 7th. Okay. And the opening reception is Friday night, September 7th, from 5 to 7.30. It's free, open to the public. There'll be Great. beverages and food, and it'll nice. be a good time. Yeah, no doubt. So how many, how many images do you have? 
Right now I have about 20. I'd like to get about 30. We'll see how much right. I get done this weekend. And, so. of course, people can also buy these. Correct. They'll be for sale that weekend. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in, in terms of the photography and, and, and how, you know, you you see St. Louis, so, so what is distinctive? Like, I love this picture of uh, the pageant that you gave me. Is so is so cool. It's like it it it, it kind of uh, it's it's kind of gritty, mm-hmm. and and you do a lot of different. You do pretty and gritty. Let's yes, put it that way. I do, yeah. And it's funny because that one's going to be set with the Eat Right and some of the other some of my more gritty under right, right. tone ones, and then I have like you know the pretty one that's going to go over the fireplace and yeah. things. So I love it, and yeah. and uh, I guess the one with the Griffin is really cool. Yeah, um, and it, and it means so much also in a lot of ways because it is uh, it's Viani. Yeah, and it's where Lieutenant Dan went to school. And so it's it's that's really pretty cool. Yeah, and it's the cool thing about the show is a lot of these pieces they're very limited edition. So I did have this in the auction for Lieutenant Dan probably two or three years ago, uh-huh. but that's the only copy that's ever been sold. So you know these are very limited, even if, even if I've taken them a while ago, and then I have a lot of new stuff to show. Very cool. And 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 when uh, you look at these images and, and you and you and you see what you've kind of done. Like, what's the next step for you in terms of your art or in terms of your photography? Or I know you're always kind of thinking. I remember you first when you first started the company. Yeah. It was like it's just so so cool <laughs> that you did that. And and I mean, it, you know, it's it's yeah. kind of like, hey, this is what I'm going to do from now on. Exactly. I mean, it's it's it's, it's exciting, you know. It is. So I, what what's the next step then? You think I would love to have a studio. I would I would love to have a place where I can have people come in and you know take their picture, have stuff for sale, and just have. You know, a yeah. really cool space where I can show off everything. Nice. And and what's what's really interesting though is that is is it, there's no longer like the dark room, right? You know, nope. nobody people don't use a dark room anymore. Not really. That's a funny <laughs> point. So my mom and my stepdad are actually coming up for the show, and he gave me my dad's film camera from the newspaper. And so I think I'm going to have him walk around taking pictures with my dad's camera at the show with film. So I'm going to have to nice figure out how to find a dark room and yeah now because because that's the other thing because uh you still in order to develop that stuff you still have to use the dark room yeah. right so i know that there's a difference like when it comes to music let's put it that way so when music is digital it it seems to be uh sometimes the 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 it used to be that well when you listen to music on a vinyl recording yeah. it's always so much better so much richer so much this so much that and then digital kind of takes away from it. Mm-hmm. Is that the same thing with with photography? Like, like, is there does it does it make a difference? Or is, because di- digital photography looks to me like it's every bit uh, uh, beautiful it, it, as anything else. I mean, digital has its ups and downs. You can erase things right away. You can take as many as you want. It's very clear and stuff. But like you were saying before, like with the gritty, I yeah. kinda, I kind of like gritty. That's why I do a lot of stuff that's. At night and yeah. in different places and dark and on my phone and all <laughs> kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, I was about to ask you that. So, what kind of? So, do you use all kinds of different cameras? Yeah, yeah. Right now, I have like three different cameras okay. that I'm using. So, and then, depending on what I'm doing. And do you use your? And is your phone one of them? Yes. I mean, I'm. I know, but the, no, the, you can, I'm a f- iPhone photo junkie. I mean, I, it's amazing some of the pictures you can get with yeah. with an iPhone. I, the pageant was actually my phone. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, and, and it does, but it does take a certain level of skill still because you still have to have the eye. Right. I mean, you know, that, yeah. that's, that's the whole thing about art anyway. Uh, and, and certainly anybody can take a picture on an iPhone, but you kind of still have to have that eye or that appreciation or whatever it is right. you're shooting. What you're looking for. And that's a couple of my favorite pieces are things that people might have seen around town and never really noticed because I took them from like really weird positionings and vantage points and like you'd be like where is that and <laughs> yeah it's right there I love it so the Griffin yeah. I, you know it's interesting because that's an that's an example because I've been to Viani numerous times and I've, I've been around the school I've been there for uh, getting you know when, when when for sporting events and that kind of stuff and I've never seen that so, uh, you know what I mean? Right, right, exactly. And so, you don't notice it. You drive by it, you park, you go into what you're going to do. and Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so I've never really looked at that. And yeah. that's, I think that's one of the great things about your upcoming show is I think people are going to be able to see uh, – you call them iconic uh, photos, but really the photos themselves are uh, photographs of iconic Icon- places. Correct. But you won't necessarily. You might not be able to recognize them if you didn't. If you didn't really yep. look or know, and that's what's cool about it. Yeah, it's kind of like little secrets, you know. <laughs> exactly, little places I find to hide around town. Yeah, because you're like, uh, where is that? You're like mm-hmm. Forest Park. I'm going. Yeah, really? Like, I didn't even know. I mean, this is right down the street at Tower Grove. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. I, I wish you know when we when we when when, when I get uh, when I grow up to be a big boy, <laughs> we're going to be able to show you this. We're we're actually doing a new, uh, um, uh, a, a brand new uh, studio, and mm-hmm. so by then we, yeah, you could come in with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll have uh, I'll have matches take a close up picture yeah. of that and be able to uh, give me one second. I'll switch. It. I can switch the camera on. Oh sure, okay, yeah, well, yeah. He's going to switch the camera, oh. and then we're going to be able to see those, and you guys okay. can see him see him close up. So uh, tell me, if I go, can go back to Lieutenant Dan, sure. if you don't mind, Christine, uh, to a certain degree. Uh, the re- people don't ever – it's not something that, that people really ever get over. I, I, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm, I'm not yeah. – it's hard to say that because, because it's, not, cause it's not even a question of whether you get over it or don't get over it. Right. Uh, but but you always uh, come up with different ways to kind of maybe manifest his memory. Correct. Uh, because it's been ten years, uh, 11. Eleven, eleven years now. June, yeah. yeah, in June, and it, it 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 probably seems like it was yesterday. It does. It does. And I mean, you know, it is one of those things that at every family party, you know, we talk about him, we tell stories about him. You know, Janine does some. You know, both of them. So Janine, yeah. you know, all of them think about him every day. It's always on the forefront of their mind, and yeah, do everything you can to keep his memory alive. And through trivia nights and golf tournaments and right. parties down at McGurk's and <laughs> yeah, stuff yep, like that. Yep. So, yeah, drinks, yeah. drinks for Lieutenant Dan. And, and you know, it's interesting too because I, I, you know, he is he's a. You guys have a a long legacy of military service in the family. Correct. And and that's why this is another thing that that, that that pops up because you all, the military service aspect has been nothing new for you guys. No, no. So like Sue's um, uncle was at Pearl Harbor. Her dad was over in World War II. Her other uncle was in Korea. You know, she and Claude were in Vietnam. Dan's dad was in the Air Force. And yeah, yeah. So it's just a long, 
a long line of yeah. army veterans. Yeah, it is. It is. It is really amazing. And do you? Um, I guess when it comes to to uh, you know fundraising that kind of thing, uh, people buy the at, at the mm-hmm. auctions and the trivia yeah. nights and that kind of thing. People yeah. buy your buy your pictures. Okay, mm-hmm. so explain to me again. It's going to be at Hilltop, and where's it going to be? Hilltop House, and that's at seven five two two Big Bend Boulevard in Webster. Okay. So it's a cute little location, cute little house on a hill. And, and you are, you have, your Cleans and Things is on uh, Facebook, right? It's on Facebook. Um, I'm on pretty much all social media's website, cleansandthings.com. Okay. Are you, are you um, on? Okay, yeah. Uh, which one? Let's see. This is the one in Tower Grove Park. Yep. Oh, what is this? this, is, this it's on is metal, on, so it shines. It's on metal? Yeah. Wow. So that's the other. Is it okay? Yeah. The other cool thing um, is I'm going to have a lot of canvas pieces. I'll have a lot of things on metal. I'll have framed prints. I'm going to have cards. I'm going to have unframed pieces that people can take home and frame however they want. I should have, I should have brought my... Um, I almost my brought that one, and then I wanted to bring Gianni and surprise you. Yeah, people, <laughs> uh, people actually, if you guys, if you guys saw my... If, when, when I was doing some of the Facebook Lives from my... Uh, Oh, little, I did see it in one of them. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. in the back. It's right on my, on the in, shelf. in the background, yeah. there there it was because it's on my little uh, it's on my little shelf, and I, I I love that picture, and I always make it uh, prominent in the uh, in in the little fun room there. But this is the this is the uh, Viani Griffin, and this will all be there. And so the big opening is on the seventh. Yeah. Okay. And can I? So one more cool thing. Yes. So last auction day, my son Jack, who's Natalie's age, yeah, eleven, ten, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, he took a he took the picture that was in the auction last year of the MMMMF uh, memorial. Oh yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. And so I'm going to put a couple of his pieces in the show too. So he'll have oh nice. So he'll have some of his art represented as well. Well, because we were you, you guys have been heavily involved in this, and I and I and I was for a while uh, more active than I than I am now in the Missouri Military Memorial Foundation. And it took a long time to raise money mm-hmm. to build that bill. beautiful memorial, but it's, it is amazing. And I remember when it was you know first talked about, and 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 to see it come to fruition that it's way. Beautiful, yeah, yeah. And Jack took a really cute, a really cool picture of it. So I love it. A- he did a good job. So it's starting to run in the family. Oh, yeah. He loves it. So. I love it. Okay. Well, check it out. I'll, I'll put a link there on uh, Clings and Things okay. on, the, on, the, on, the, uh, on the Facebook page as well and, and get you hooked up. So awesome. it's going to start on the 7th of September and run through again? Um, October 7th. Okay. Great. Well, nice yeah. to see you nice again. Nice to see you. Thanks, Thanks for, for everything. Me. Yeah. This was uh, really good to see you guys again and tell everybody hello for me. I okay? absolutely will. All right. That's Christine Kling Garrett. Clings and Things. Right there on Facebook. Congratulations. Thank you. Love it. Be back in one second, everybody. Gonna get a quick picture, right? I make sure Facebook doesn't pull me off over the Keith Urban thing. I gotta tell you, that family is just. Uh, You all out there probably have met 
military families, or you're one of them, and it really is a humbling experience to have an experience with people in the military and military families because uh, it's humbling from the standpoint of knowing the sacrifices that they make, but to actually meet a... uh, Being a gold star family is a completely uh, different realm, and they're, and they're really and they're very brave people. Uh, you know, when you talk to Janine, Lieutenant Dan's mom, or even Christine for that matter, or his brother Nick, or Suzanne, his sister, or Sue, uh, you like you'd think that people who have lost somebody in war that they would be bitter or it would be so hard to get over or they'd be they'd be questioning or they'd be this or they'd be that uh, and and or, or to a certain degree just kind of give up and that has not been the case with the Reardon family of the Garrett's and it really is very humbling and really pretty amazing. I will have to tell you that uh, I, I met the family when I did a like a like a rant in the aftermath of Lieutenant Dan's death, and that was uh, back in 2007 in June. I remember being on the air uh, after it was uh, in the newspaper and being on the air and uh, talking about it. And, and, I, and I, I'm not going to turn this, I don't want to turn, you know, a, a nice uh, kind of uh, unifying experience here on Radio Free Element into a, into a political thing. But I do have to, you know, kind of uh, double back and tell you uh, about uh, the origins of, of my contact with them. And... Uh, and and it happened because I went on a I went on a rant and and I was I was uh, not very happy with some of the uh, politicians who uh, had been running their mouths about the about the war and, and about the uh, and, and about the and, and about the talking about whether or not we were going to win or lose the war. And one of the people who was the biggest target of my ire at that time was uh, Harry Reid. And that was when he basically said that the war is lost. And that really uh, made me angry. And the reason why it made me angry is because, to me, it was exacerbating uh, the the issue. It was it was causing harm to our men and women who were overseas at the time, and to have a this really now I'm getting really angry all over again. But I, I'm not going to get angry. This was in April of 2007. Okay, it's Harry Reid. I believe. Myself, 
that the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, and you have to make your own decision as to what the president knows, that this war is lost. So that was uh, about two months before uh, Lieutenant Dan Reardon was killed. And again, I, I, I don't want to – this was a very nice occasion. We we're talking about the, the, the exhibit and, and, and uh, Christine's art and everything else. But I, I, but I can't let it pass the way in which I came in contact with the family. So, so I hear him say this, and that, that is in, that is I in, believe in, in April. Myself, that the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, and you have to make your own decision as to what the president knows, that this war is lost. Now, if you could imagine, and I'm, I'm not putting words in their mouths or anything else, because I'm not speaking for them, the Reardon family. But if you could imagine being a member of a military family with somebody overseas in Iraq or Afghanistan, and if you can imagine being in a uh, in a military family and your son or daughter is over there. Fighting for their lives. I mean, and 2007 was a, man, that whole time, that 2005, 2000 through 2008 span was just a devastating time for the American military over there. That's where we lost a, a majority of the lives that we wound up losing in, in Iraq. But if you can imagine being a family member of somebody and you turn on your TV and, and and you're and you're by the way a family member who, uh, any little contact with your loved one, and you're just like so appreciative. You're just like, like I, I remember actually when when Ethan wound up going over there in 2010, and I'll get I'll get I'll get to that in a little bit. We actually were able to. That was a time where you could actually make phone calls and things like that. So I actually talked to Ethan by phone on occasion uh, from Iraq. But other people weren't so lucky at the time and didn't have that kind of contact and a lot of different things going on there. And so if you can imagine sitting in your living room while your loved one's over there and seeing that on TV, seeing a, seeing a politician up there in his cushy little office there in well-protected D.C., standing in front of a microphone and declaring that a war is lost, what do you think is going through their minds when that happens? When you see a politician saying that the war is lost? And I remember at the time thinking, that is, that's a horrible thing to do as an American politician. While, while men and women are fighting overseas, to go on TV and say the war is lost, and and it's not just a it's not just a an emotional thing. It's not just because you're hurting the feelings of of military families or hurting the feelings of people. You're endangering them. You're endangering these soldiers because what happens is when back home uh, the the Mooj, all the all the the terrorists over there and the fighters over there. When they see that there's no support for these soldiers over in D.C., it just makes it, it just makes them turn the heat up even more. 
They, they, they go harder. I mean, what do you think, if you liken it to any other, you know, a game or a football game or a baseball, whatever, you know, when you see a weakness in the other team's fabric, when you, when you see a crappy bullpen or you see the other team arguing in a huddle, there's a weakness there. And you and 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 you can usually you know, usually are then compelled to to try to exploit it. So we had the situation over in Iraq uh, where we had men and women fighting over there, but our politicians back here, solely for political gain, solely for political purposes, were undermining the war efforts, and we're undermining our soldiers. So then two months after Harry Reid's comment, uh, there's the newspaper and there's the, there's the report of Lieutenant Dan's death. And I just went crazy. I, I was just beside myself. And, 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 you know, I don't like to be I don't I don't like to be angry or I don't like to be yelly or whatever. But uh, I was just I was uh, pissed off, and I and I referenced that, and, and I referenced the, the 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 ongoing undermining of our war effort, because when I when I heard the story of Lieutenant Dan, and it hit home, and there have been many people who had been killed before Lieutenant Dan, and many people who had been killed uh, who were from St. Louis before Lieutenant Dan, but for some reason. When, when I was able to see the story, and whoever reported the story did a really good job of conveying uh, the life of Lieutenant Dan at the Post-Dispatch there, uh, it just hit me in a way that I, I, I couldn't avoid and resist uh, talking about it. And, and that's when I heard from I – I think that's when I first heard in the aftermath of that rant – and and I you know I didn't blame Harry Reid for Lieutenant Dan's death or that kind of thing, but I I just said I said you know politicians don't understand the impact they have on war efforts and on the lives of American men and women who are serving overseas when they're running their big mouths back here at home. And and I do believe and and people will disagree and reasonable people will disagree with me on this, but that's one of the reasons why. The Vietnam War was lost, and I'm not saying it's the only reason. I really don't know why we, why that happened. I, I have, I couldn't tell you with any precision why that war effort failed. But I'll, I will tell you that one of the aspects of it that most historians will agree on is that it was a public war. You know, it was one of the first times that Americans. We're able to see the images from the battlefield, and and for a lot of Americans, that was gut wrenching. That was really devastating. The graphic nature of what they were seeing over in Vietnam, and so it was it was the first TV war, and so Americans could see it when otherwise they wouldn't. Only. Uh, you gotta thank God that we didn't have the media around in World War II. We would have we would have lost that war, or 
it, we would have lost more people trying to win it. Let's put it that way. Which is which is what happened in Iraq. We we had all these politicians squawking about this and arguing about the war and doing this and doing that. And so it prolonged not only the war in terms of creating a timidity on the part of our commanding officers who, uh, you know, we finally had, remember the surge? Well, we, we finally did the surge, but, you know, we should have done the surge at the very beginning. And and there were other decisions that were made clearly that were a problem when we dismantled the army. I, I mean, I know all the problems, but still, you know, we, we but we, we we weren't giving our soldiers and our fighting men and women all the fighting powers that they deserved. They had to be careful with everything. Because 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 you didn't you know want something reported and then have Harry Reid go out and say look what happened here so there was a level of timidity there you're seeing the same thing on the streets here with the police but I don't want to I don't want to get into the weeds on that but boy had had Americans seen what was going on in World War II they they would never have had the stomach for it it w- they would not have been able to tolerate it. We had we had many battles. I don't know whether you all know about the movie A Bridge Too Far, but that's that's about one of uh, the United States' most monumental military failures. But had but had that been televised, it, we would have abandoned the war effort. Hell, had half the stuff in World War II been televised, Americans would have bailed big time. What hell? One one picture televised on the news, if there was really such a thing, much much a thing then of a kamikaze, the the the, the horrible things the Japanese did to to Americans out there in the Pacific. Had you seen that on TV, you'd have you'd have pulled all the ships back home right away. I'm not I'm not saying that for sure. I'm just saying that you know it does have an impact when you're seeing. What's happening when you're seeing the war effort, when you're seeing things on TV, it has an impact on it. But the other aspect of the Vietnam War that led to uh, its demise was the politicians getting involved in it. And once you have a war being run by politicians, it's going to be really, really difficult. Because politicians, when they're involved in it, they're not, they don't care as much about the fortunes of the American soldiers as they do about their fortunes. And so they don't have the same kind of uh, care for some of them. And I'm not saying all of them, but for some of them, the idea of a, a war being won by a Republican during a Republican's term, they, they, that, that would be horrible because that would mean that Republicans would win again. When they ran again, and, and Democrats like Harry Reid, were their, their, their only reason for this was not – Harry Reid didn't care about the fortunes and the fates of these people over there. He cared about his fortune, his fate. He cared about the, the fortunes and the fates of the, of the Democrat Party. And, and, that's, and that's what drove me crazy. And so when finally Lieutenant Dan uh, – when, when news of his death arrived – uh, this had all been kind of pent up, and and I just went berserko 
on it. And Aunt Sue, uh, I think she wrote me and sent me an email or something in the aftermath of that. And, and that's how I got involved with the uh, the Reardon family after I had talked about Lieutenant Dan. And then, then I became immersed in uh, this whole thing and helping them out with their trivia nights and things and the, the golf tournaments. And, and uh, I would take uh, Ethan with me to, to some of these events and things like that. And then lo and behold, wow, uh, Ethan decides he's going to join the Army. And... <laughs> And, and then in uh, and then while it winds up going to uh, to Iraq, he turned twenty in Iraq, and um, love the guy, brave guy, but he turned twenty over there, and you know, by the time he got there uh, in two thousand ten, he was a lot safer than than he would have been in two thousand seven, and Lieutenant Dan was. And 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 it was because of the sacrifices of Lieutenant Dan and all the other uh, American soldiers and the fighting men and women, because of their sacrifices, he he, uh, he was just that much more safe. So I, I, I was actually uh, thankful to the to to the Reardon family and to all those American soldiers who came before before Ethan. Because yeah, it was it was Ethan was in Ethan was uh, was involved in a firefight over there more than once or twice and and got his uh, uh, combat action badge over there, but uh, and, and he was he was uh, pinned. I never never forget this. It, it was because uh, he he was a bridge engineer, so he he was in the seven thirty second out of Granite City. And he was a bridge engineer, and uh, he was, and they were, you know, it was Red Bull and cigarettes a lot of the time. These guys were sitting there overnight, and they basically guarded the bridge. On, on occasion, he would obviously do caravans, and they they they'd make uh, fuel runs and things like that, go through there. And uh, they he they were uh, he was pinned under uh, by these guys who were. Uh, shooting at him on the bridge and he was shooting back and, 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 and that's where he received his combat action badge. But, uh, they were pinned under and then finally, uh, they were able to radio for some degree of backup or whatever it was. And, uh, the 50 cal came out and then, and that was over. So the, the, whoever was sh- shooting at him, uh, the multiple people were were liquefied by the fifty cal, and rightly so. But nonetheless, uh, he was he his his uh, service there, um, and his safety there uh, was uh, he was all the more safe because of the sacrifices that were made by the soldiers before him. And so it was really, uh, and for that, I I, I eternally thank. Uh, the Reardon family, and I eternally appreciate the sacrifice Lieutenant Dan made. But that's how I met them. Long story, but that's that's how I met him, and 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 that's uh, uh, I, and 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 that contact with them has been one of the most humbling, uh, beautiful experiences that I've I've ever had in my life. Is uh, watching how this family dealt with the death of Lieutenant Dan and how they turned it into uh, continual help for. Uh, 
for other Gold Star families and for the military in general. So uh, really, a, really a cool thing. And then, uh, and so if you, uh, so you'll meet some of them if you go to Christine's show there at Hilltop uh, in Webster, and, and you'll you'll meet some of them because they'll all be there because uh, Christine is a member of the family there. And so uh, I'll I'll put up the link to her event and everything else, but. Uh, and that's that's how I met Christine and 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 her family as well as is uh, through that through Lieutenant my experience with the uh, the Reardon family. So hope you can make it out. That was a long way to go, wasn't it? Still mad at Harry Reid? Yeah. Politicians, man they they will and once they get involved and once they start steering the war a certain way, it's it's done. We still have people over there, and we still had people over in uh, Afghanistan. We had a soldier killed a week and a half ago. Now people don't even pay attention to it. I played you a little bit about that. Uh, I, I of that you know you just when you think that maybe you've forgotten about Afghanistan and our men and women still serving over there, you can go and, and you can see video of these people in in these really vicious firefights over there still. So. Never forget, my friends. Never forget. I'm just trying to be a father, raise a daughter and a son, be a lover to their mother, everything to everyone. Up and at them bright and early I'm all business in my suit Yeah, I'm dressed up for success From my head down to my boots I don't do it for the money There's bills that I can't pay I don't do it for the glory I just do it anyway Providing for our futures My responsibility yeah, I'm real good under pressure Being all that I can be I can't call in sick on Mondays When the weekend's been too strong I just work straight through the holidays Sometimes all night long You can bet that I stand ready When the wolf growls at the door Hey, I'm solid, hey, I'm steady Hey, I'm true down to the core I will always do my duty, no matter what the price. I've counted up the cost, I know the sacrifice. Oh, and I don't want to die for you, but if dying's asking me, I'll bear that cross with honor, because freedom don't come free. I'm I don't know whether you're going to pull me off for this or not, but I don't want to be... Uh... Hold off. Beside my brothers and my sisters, I will proudly take the stand. So I, I got, I'll start, I'll start talking over this now. Jeopardy. Sorry, it's a beautiful song, but do what's right. I don't know what I'm going to do. So just kind of, uh, on the front lines. be pulled off. Don't want it. Great song. I don't know if you guys caught this or not. It was a, uh, local story and it was in 
the post dispatch, they have audio of this. And it's it's Josh Hawley. We didn't talk much about this US Senate campaign in the aftermath of the primary. So uh, Josh Hawley, and they made a big deal about this. And it's interesting, and I'm sure you all have a certain reaction to it one way or the other, but he said he wants to do away with a provision in the federal tax code that bars religious organizations and pastors from endorsing or opposing political candidates. And and under the IRS regulations as they are, uh, churches and other nonprofits can engage in a bunch of activities related to public issues. They can advocate for certain policies, but pastors and churches are not allowed to endorse a particular candidate in a sermon or during church services without potentially losing their status as an organization exempted by the government from paying taxes. So the IRS rarely enforces the rule, as you all know, because Democrats love to pop into these churches and and do do their thing. If you're a Republican and you do something like that, your ass is in a pinch, believe me. But, yeah, knock yourselves out, Democrats. That's why they all wind up in churches. Steve Stanger, okay? You see, remember I played for you Steve Stanger at that black church when he was singing I can't, Amazing Grace or something? And, and it's pretty good, actually. Amazing Grace. Let me see. Let me see if I can find it. Hold on a second here. <laughs> um, uh but but singing in a, in a, in, a, in a black church, and um, he, and it was it was it was not bad. Uh, it was uh, it was it was actually pretty good. But now the only problem with that is that if it were, I guarantee, if it were Josh Hawley in a church singing Amazing Grace. They would have been on him like white on rice. Hey, that separation of church and state. Republicans shouldn't be, you know, they'd, they'd be bitching up a storm about that. It'd be, it'd be the most scandalous news you could find anywhere. Stanger's out there doing his get up with amazing grace and just, because we're all used to it. Oh, there's Hillary in a, in a black church again. Or, there, or there's Hillary in a church with her, with her, with her, uh, with her fake accent. <laughs> Hold on, let me see if I can find that. Oh, I might not be able to find it. Um, uh, Hillary. Uh, <laughs> it was it was so it was so horrible. Her her reading this uh, this this thing. <laughs> uh, I think I have it. Hold on, let me see if I have it. This is but she, this is her at a church, uh, and and. Uh, and, and reading her uh, in Selma, Alabama, and, and these these Democrat politicians, uh, they they love 
going to these black churches and how black people still put up with this stuff is beyond me. I mean, I, I, I guess you, you kind of once you once you get once a politician wants to come, you don't want to be rude and say no. But how how black people continually allow themselves to be used by these white liberal politicians to come in to their churches just for a photo op? Look, I'm with black people, everybody. I, look how amazing I am. I, I actually have sullied myself and, and to, to be among these black individuals, these black Americans. Look how ecumenical and amazing and not racist I am. But anyway, I don't know how they, I don't know how they put up with it. But, but believe me, you, you, get, you get some – Jimmy Swaggart says, I like George Bush. It's like the, all hell breaks loose. But these guys – but nothing happens to these people. I'll get to the Holly thing back thing. But um, remember this one? I don't feel no ways tired. I come too far from where I started from. Oh, you should see this video, by the way, of her. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and how she's looking around and she, and these people, and she, their people are egging her on and clapping and, I don't even know what I don't even know what accent that is. What the hell is that? Nobody. <laughs> I don't feel no ways tired. What is this? Actually, you know, I've always had the audio. I've never actually really seen the video of this. Just all you have to do is is uh, Google or Bing Hillary. I don't feel no ways tired, and you'll see it. too far from where I started from. <laughs> Nobody told me that the road would be easy. I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. Is that is that her like she's at this church in Selma. So is that Hillary being black? I, or like a black woman or something? Like what is she doing? <laughs> Anyway, to my point, like nobody would bat an eye, people like Hillary and others, nobody bats an eye at this kind of ridiculousness, this kind of sickening display of exploitation. Uh, nobody, nobody goes to that church and, and then, uh, yeah, heaven forbid, you think the IRS would go to a black church and try to pull their nonprofit status after some white goofball like Hillary pollutes the place? No way. The IRS probably is, is too busy going after conservative groups and, and, and harassing them. Anyway, right now, uh, if, if you are a – well, and, and, what, and what Josh isn't, isn't saying is that right now, like this IRS regulation, churches and other nonprofits can engage in – but uh, pastors and churches are not allowed to endorse a particular candidate – what he really is saying is the regulation really says underneath it all, Republican and conservative pastors and Republican and conservative churches are not allowed to endorse a particular candidate in a sermon or during church services without losing their status as an organization exempted. Right now, you right now you wouldn't you, you wouldn't catch the Mormon church dead 
having some political person in their in their midst or or a or a republican conservative church having somebody some republican speak they just don't even bother with it anymore cuz they know they'll but they'll be harassed so anyway he says that that uh ought to ought to be repealed the johnson amendment barring pastors and churches from uh, endorsing a particular candidate in a sermon or church service should be repealed. Now, uh, what what happens ultimately, the, the problem with this really is the exemptions to begin with, some might say. And, and this is one of the reasons why sometimes a tax-exempt status can have the opposite effect, meaning – that once you take something from the government, the government has then a right to take something from you. That's why, for instance, when uh, Catholics uh, talk about how they want uh, tax credits for their tuition payments, like they want to get a, t- a tax credit, much like you know uh, the public schools, you know, get money that 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 that. Uh, people who are sending their kids to public schools for free, that uh, they ought to actually have a tax credit sending their kids to private schools. And one of the reasons why sometimes I I caution uh, the Catholics when they talk about that and wanting tax credits or tax exemptions is once you start to get in bed with the government, the government's going to be in bed with you. And so the, so the government at that point can take something from you once it has its fangs in you. And so you like so in 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 this situation, these churches, they're getting tax breaks. they're they're not having to pay taxes because they're nonprofit. And in return, the government has stolen. Their freedom. So, so basically, well, and again, stolen some of some churches' freedoms. I mean, right now, it, it appears to me, by what I've been able to see, that uh, as long as you're a liberal church, a black church, or whatever, you can do whatever the hell you want. And the IRS isn't going to mess with you. So, really, what Hawley is getting at is that, for the most part. There's there's an imbalance. So if either enforce it for everybody or don't have it at all. But but there shouldn't be a situation where a black church or some urban church or some liberal church ought to have all the freedom in the world to endorse and host candidates or whatever else, but conservative churches or whatever have to be gun-shy about it. That that's not equity, and, and that's not any way to have a have a law or have fairness in in, in that sense. That that's just, that doesn't that doesn't work very well. So, I would I would say just I I, I would say just repeal it since it's not enforced fairly. I, although I do have to tell you that that uh, I think the whole nonprofit thing and tax exemption thing is a problem in itself 
But now President Trump had said this before, that he wants to get rid of the law. But there were like 4,000 faith leaders who came forward and wrote to Congress and, and urged Congress to retain it. As a leader in my religious community, I'm strongly opposed to any effort to repeal or weaken current law that protects houses of worship from becoming centers of partisan politics. This is, this is from a person with the Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Changing the law would threaten the integrity and independence of houses of worship. Now, the president in May signed an executive order asking the IRS not to enforce this amendment. And then in July, uh, the House Appropriations Committee voted to keep language in a spending bill that would defund IRS efforts to enforce the amendment. Uh, It has not been passed by the House or the Senate yet, so it hasn't been signed into law. But that was in July. So they they would no longer fund IRS efforts to enforce this amendment. But but here is where when you when you see this person's statement that uh, I am strongly he's from the Americans United for Separation of Church and State, and he says that we this law is needed to protect houses of worship from becoming centers of partisan politics, and it's interesting the name. Separation of church and state, Americans United for Separation of Church and State, because what he just said there reflects a fundamental misunderstanding of the separation of church and state. And, And it really wasn't designed necessarily to keep religion out of the government. Uh, when Jefferson wrote that letter, it was essentially a an assurance that the government would be kept out of the church. So, so the separation of church and state really fundamentally is not about uh, keeping religion out of politics or keeping religion out of the public square. It was about keeping the public square out of religion. Now, now having a politician in a church. Isn't isn't keeping government out of religion because the politician is simply addressing a congregation of people uh, 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 and people of faith who they want to reach. I don't think think there's an now. So basically, it was it was designed to keep the government. Uh, well, the separation of church and state was fundamentally there. Really, isn't anything written about it really. Uh, I don't know whether people realize it or not, but there's nothing written in the Constitution about separation of church and state. It it was a letter that Jefferson wrote to a church. Uh, It's a concept, but it's not a construct. So that's something people kind of forget, that the, 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 the separation of church and state is a thing is a, is a is a concept that it was in a in a letter Jefferson's letter to the church what's it what is in the constitution is freedom to assemble and worship the way you please and if you want to worship with a goofball like Hillary in your church 
you ought to be able to do that without any fallout. So, so uh, technically, though, in, in, in the perfect world, a church, uh, I guess the exemption part of it is, is keeping the government out of the church, and, and, I, and I get that the exemption part of it, but I don't believe it ought to even be really an issue. I think that, uh, that people in their churches ought to have whoever they want to have in their churches and, and, and without punishment or repercussions from the government. And, and, and you could say, yeah, but they're getting, it's tax free. They're, they're getting exempted. And they're like, they should be because they're, they're, they're assembling as a unit and, uh, and, and I believe churches shouldn't have to pay taxes no matter what uh, on, 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 I mean, obviously property taxes, cause they're on the, on the property. I get that. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I understand. And, and, you know, that you have, they have fire and police protection and all that kind of stuff, but money they raise or whatever in a church should never, shouldn't be taxed. So I'm 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 not even sure why that there's even a necessity to exempt them. They ought to be just exempt organically. But nonetheless, I agree with Hawley that they ought to get just get rid of it altogether. And I I agree with Hawley that it's a uh, fundamental religious liberty issue. And you know, as as hard and and difficult and sickening as it is. I don't feel no ways tired. So listen to that. I come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. I don't believe he brought me this far <laughs> to leave me. Uh, yes, but you know what? That is indeed the price of freedom. To 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 listen to Hillary. Uh wailing or whatever that was she was doing in a in a in a church is is uh you, you know you you kind of have to uh you you have to put up with that and 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 sure I'll put up with that if you'll let Donald Trump do the same thing somewhere I'm I'm good I'm all I'm all for the, for the for the uh for the freedom there uh but so I, I agree that we ought to repeal it, and and I I think that the the best reason to uh, to to get rid of it, the best reason to get rid of it is because it's not enforced. Uh, it's not enforced equally, and, and to the point where many conservative churches and uh, Republican churches. I know it did that. It's like, yeah, or uh, just don't even bother getting involved in politics because they are so afraid. Maybe not in this environment now with with President Trump's administration, but boy, during Obama's administration, you better you'd better shut your fat mouths, Republicans, and you're with you're in a church. Don't you dare talk about politics because Obama's IRS jackbooted thugs will be after you in a second. But as long as it's not being enforced, I mean, you know, and then they defund the enforcement elements of it, then I, I think I can, I can probably, uh, probably deal with that. But Hawley's on the right track. And, and, and you know what? Here's the deal. 
people uh, make uh, issues about this and religious issues. It's kind of Holly's brand as it is, but it's something to talk about. But but when when the Post Dispatch reported it, uh, it, it was uh, it was one of these things where. Uh, <laughs> They, they they acted like they had some secret Watergate tape of him plotting whatever it was. They acted like it was some kind of criminal act for Hawley to come out and and endorse the the repeal of this. Yeah, Hawley was caught on tape, you know, talking to a church about repealing the Johnson Amendment, talking to a bunch of pastors. They 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 were having their secret religious conservative meeting together, but really it's it's not anything new. The president's talked about it, and people have talked about it for uh, a long time. So it's not unusual, people. It's not unusual. It's not unusual to bring up the repeal of the Johnson Amendment. It's not unusual at all. It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. No, it's not unusual at all. It's not unusual to have fun with anyone. We are live here in the Discovery Design Studio. DiscoveryDesignInc.com. It's not unusual to see me. Thank you, Rick and Jerry Pogue over there at Arrowhead Building Supply. Appreciate you very much. It's not unusual to go out at any time. Thank you very much to. Ricky Hall and Jenna Perk for a nice evening last night at the baseball game. It was a ton of fun. And, of course, you know Ricky from Nutrition HQ right there in Rock Hill, Manchester and McKnight. It's my place. It's where I go. That's how I help myself. And he's going to become a new... uh, One of our new sponsors, Nutrition HQ, NHQ.rocks. It's actually a website, .rocks, NHQ.rocks. Also, thank you to Santino's Cigars and Cocktails. Right there, Vogel Road in Arnold. We're planning our Radio Free Almond Happy Hour for the 27th of September, so check it out. You know, the County Brown's there. I, I think, but. By that time, I think we're going to have uh, the Radio Free Almond Cigars at your disposal. So you'll they'll have like the little Radio Free Almond logo in the wraparound of, of the cigar. So that'll be that'll be pretty cool. And don't forget, too, ladies and gentlemen, about my buddy Eric Deputy, DeputyWellness.com. Kind of brand new. What is this? This is uh, unlike this. This is it's, it's not my thing. Not a bad one. You hear, listen to some Tom Waits. Some people can't deal with Tom Waits. I can. Love his voice. Mentions Missouri in this song. I don't know whether you knew that or not. Well, my daddy told me looking back Best friend you have 
Missouri there. Where was that? Oh, the Pooty Wellness, the Pooty Wellness.com. Come on. If you don't like Tom Waits, listen to him a little longer. You'll get used to him. Put up with it. You'll love him. When just, just give it some time. He's a weird dude, but I love his music. My, my volume, is there a volume up there? Morgan, is, what am I doing here? Am I doing... Facebook isn't going to pull me off because they're like, they, they can't even catch up with me here. They don't even know who Tom Waits is on Facebook. Wait, who is this man? We don't have an algorithm for this. What's going on? You guys know Tom Waits, people. This is, a, this is an early one from Closing Time. Way, way back in the day. Yeah, don't forget about Matthew Mitchell, Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency. Eight five five, quote me. That's eight five five, quote me for all of your uh, life, home, and auto needs. Good man, there, Matthew Mitchell. Thank you, buddy. I'm going to talk to Michael Proctor today. Proctor's coming back. ProctorDraper.com. Proctor spelled like doctor. And then, of course, Golden Oak Lending as of September 1. And one of my uh, official sponsors here at Radio Free Almond. So we're stacking them up, having some fun. Appreciate all of you who've uh, supported us here. Here's old Tom Waits. So if you compare his voice from that time to... What you heard earlier about Bottom of the World, it's, uh, it's whiskey. <laughs> it's, it's whiskey and age, you know. What, did, what was President Trump doing when he talked about, uh, <laughs> about, about violence In, in the wake of the, uh, with the possibility that there could be violence if Democrats take over the House. So if the GOP loses, he said, they will overturn everything that we've done and they'll do it quickly and violently and violently. There's violence. When you look at Antifa and you look at some of these groups, they are violent people. And to tell you the truth, I think that, you know, he's right about the Antifa people, but 
it's kind of like it's it's not going to take a GOP loss to make Antifa violent. They're violent already. Now, if he means that they'll just kind of like uh, start to really go crazy because they're so confident, I don't know. But I also think he was just kind of talking off the cuff. I think, you know, uh, I don't think he was promoting violence against Antifa or anybody else. I don't know. What do, what do, you, what do you think MSNBC thought of all this kind of stuff? Hang on, let me let me turn let me turn my music off here. Sorry, that's a good song. Um, here's let's just, let's just Chuck Todd tell us what the presidency, the country, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, all of it is near an inflection point, depending on what voters want. And the president is apparently trying to scare voters into wanting to support the GOP. Here's what the president said in a. Closing- By the way, you don't need to scare us to support the GOP. All you need to do is look look at your paychecks and look at your neighbor that has a, a new job. Look at your stocks. Look at look at peace around the world in some of the hottest places we've seen, like North Korea, even though that kind of fell apart a little bit. But we, you all know the story there. Look at the economy. Look at consumer confidence, the highest it's been in God knows how long. Look at black unemployment, the lowest it's been in history. We don't need to be we don't need to be scared into supporting the GOP. It's pretty pretty easy. We just have to like open our door in the morning and we'll vote for the GOP. I mean, that's just anyway. They they freaked out over the whole Trump thing. Meeting with evangelical leaders last night. This is according to recorded excerpts that we at NBC News have reviewed. The president <laughs> Great, great. I mean, you guys really must have taken a lot of time with this one, huh? Warn that if the GOP loses the midterms, quote, quote, they will overturn everything that we've done, and they'll do it quickly and violently. And violently, he repeated. There's violence, he said again. When you look at Antifa and you look at some of these groups, these are violent people. It sounds to me like he's just riffing. Uh, and, and I don't really know what he's talking about they i know that he know, that they will try to overturn everything and they will try to do it quickly uh violently who knows so so if the if the democrats take over the house president trump i guess is insinuating somehow that it's just going to lather up the left wing forces and they're going to get out and break more windows or light more fires than they already do or hit more people over the head with bike locks like they already do? I don't know. I don't know who cares? What, I mean, right here. What, 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 I mean, once again, it's like this, this uh, secret tape recording they have. Hey, by the way, Chuck, is the N-word on that tape? Because we've been looking for the N-word on a tape for a while. Is there, is there any N-word on the tape there, buddy? Because because so far, this search for the N-word on any tape out there hasn't been found. So maybe while you're doing your review and your investigation of this uh, of this tape recording of you of President Trump talking to the to the uh, evangelicals, you know, may, maybe you'll find the N-word there because you're not finding much here. 
We'll have a little bit more here in a second. Michael, you know where he's trafficking. He's trafficking in this part of the Republican base. I, it's not fair to call it the Republican base, although that's what it is now. But I, I think I, in fairness to you, Trump voter. you realize, by the way, that this is a that 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 the news media, NBC, had to uncover this tape. Like for, for whatever reason, I can't figure out why people record this crap anyway. It's like. What do you, and, and how it winds up in the hands of NBC, unless there's some kind of plant in there recording doing it ever. What is this? I mean, what, what, who, who's out there recording? And did some evangelical, be, was he offended by it? And so he handed, I don't even know where they obtained the tape. But nonetheless, keep in mind, no one actually would have heard what the president said about violence if NBC didn't report it. You, you realize how crazy this whole thing is that, that Chuck Todd and NBC are saying, oh my God, the president is trying to uh, lather up and incite violence among all of his supporters. Like, well, wait a minute, I'm a supporter and I would never have known about that tape had you just not played it for me or uh, transcribed it for me. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known about it. So how is that President Trump inciting GOP voters and supporters if none of us would have ever heard him utter those words had it not been for NBC? Now, had the president gone before the nation or had a news conference and he said that, I guess you could make the claim that somehow he was inciting all of his people. But how, could, how do you incite a bunch of people when what you're saying is behind closed doors with a bunch of evangelicals. How, how are you inciting people at that point? So, so we would never heard about this and Chuck not brought it up. And now he's acting like it's just, uh, it's president Trump screaming from the mountaintop about violence. Trump voters. He's trafficking in their conspiracies. Yeah. He's- and he, t- and he touched Antifa an issue in Portland, Oregon. Okay. I will grant you that. And in, uh, and, and right outside of your studio, dude, if you're in D.C., right outside of your studio, I was there. I saw Antifa lighting fires and breaking windows and burning limousines. I mean, and it's not just in Portland either. It's been in California, in San Jose. It's been in New York City. It's been in Washington, D.C. They're acting like Antifa. We see the videos. And by the way, if it were some kind of conservative group out there uh, who was hitting people over the heads with bike locks and it was only in Portland, do you think the news media would say, oh, that's just only in Portland? I mean, do you think they would say the same thing about some conservative group? Of course, they would never be hitting anybody over the head with bike locks. But you think there'd be anybody uh, doing that, uh, making a big deal about that? Like say, oh, it's just in Portland. That just happened in one city. It's like they would have made this into like a widespread right wing crazy loon activity. By the way, those people over in Germany aren't very happy, are they? How is it possible that? There were thousands of people who were rioting in the wake of this uh, German person killed by migrants, and yet they were all described as like right-wing nationalists in Germany, the people who were complaining about this thing. 
I don't know. Place of, but this is not a giant issue. This reminds me a lot of his reaction, initial reaction to Charlottesville. This, this desire to talk about violence on the left as somehow equal to or perhaps greater than violence on the right. When there's it a- is. It, 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 uh, violence on the left is absolutely greater than violence on the right. And violence on the left is, is rampant in this country. Who, who is this guy kidding? I guess I guess you really don't know anything about it if you don't see it or if it's not reported on or if it's not focused on, then, of course, it's not actually going to get uh, any attention here. So I, I, I guess I, I'll give them a break here. And, yeah, I don't blame you for not knowing about any of this because you guys always ignore it. The violence on the left. Rationalize violence. Right. I think he just wants to rationalize violence. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, we would never know about this and would never have any idea about this if Chuck Todd didn't report it. I would I would have never known about this had Chuck Todd uh, not mentioned or not given me the uh, transcript of this whole thing. So how is this somehow President Trump addressing the masses when you've had to uncover a tape? You won't even play it for me. You got to transcribe it for for me, and, and 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 it's and it's buried somewhere in a vault, and you've just you've just, just you've just discovered it. By the way, we didn't follow up yet on this uh, on this Lanny Davis story, and I got to tell you, these guys, CNN still has not managed to, in any way, shape, or form, ap- apologize for or or even correct the error that they made. They still haven't they still haven't done that at all. And now there are people at CNN who are uh are complaining about uh, CNN's lack of transparency on this matter. Uh because of it's it's Bernstein. They're saying that that if this were not uh if this were not Bernstein, they would have long ago apologized for this. Long ago. But but instead they're hanging to it because Bernstein's name is attached to it and, and they're not and they're not uh they're they're not happy about it, some of these CNN staffers. In fact, they're 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 really uh not happy at all about it. Because keep in mind, you know, last time there was any kind of story that was proven to be false and aired anyway, they had three firings at CNN over that. Three firings. And so some of these CNN staffers are like, okay, um, so you're going to embarrass, although I have to tell you, it's not, it's not difficult to embarrass CNN. But anyway, you're going to embarrass this entire network any more than it can be embarrassed but you're going to embarrass this network more uh by by just simply refusing to to correct a story because it has Bernstein's name attached to it and i i could hardly blame these cnn staffers for saying you know what this is outrageous you guys are sacrificing the integrity of this network if there really is any anyway uh, integrity of this network 
just because Bernstein's name's involved. And now keep in mind, uh, the, the Lanny Davis and Cohen story has been debunked by Lanny Davis himself, who said, I was the source for these people. And the Washington Post bailed right away. CNN claims that they have other sources, which I believe is a, is, is a lie because it's simply not true. It's not true with Lanny Davis saying it. It hasn't been true in any of the testimony before uh, any of the House or Senate committees that, 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 and Cohen talked to them. So none of it is true. So, I don't, so who are their sources for this story? I mean, who are they, who are they uh, pinning this thing on? My, my guess is that they're, they're hoping that this is going to go away. And when you have the media covering for the media, the chances are pretty good that it will. That we're going to be just in another situation where, we, uh, where we're, you know, we're just going to let this thing uh, – let this thing go, and it's just going to be another hit job on the president that just goes by the wayside and goes unaccounted for. All right, so giving you an update on uh, the voter totals there in Florida and Arizona, I want you all to make sure you are aware of the number of Republicans who came out in Florida and Arizona. The voter turnout among Republicans was a monster in Florida as well as Arizona. In fact, one of the reasons why it's being said that this uh, Gillum dude on the Democrat side shocked all the Democrats is because a lot of the Democrats didn't even bother coming out and voting. There was a really low percentage of Democrats voting because a lot of them are assuming that that the that the GOP is going to dominate anyway like the GOP always has in Florida. I mean the the Florida governorship has been basically owned by Republicans for a long time and I think there's this assumption that among Democrats that it was going to be a foregone conclusion. So the 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 fact that this guy who was like this surprise candidate wound up prevailing this Jillum dude while they're prevailing is nothing short of of just a great example of how uh, anemic the Democrat voting base is in places like Florida and for that matter in Arizona. I'll get that in a second. I want to replay one of my favorite sound bites of the day, and it's from Ron DeSantis when he went after Jillum and he was on uh, Laura's show. Liberal candidate that the Democratic Party here. I'll start from the beginning. Here, here you go. He is the most liberal candidate that the Democratic Party has ever nominated in the state of Florida by a country mile in a governor's race. Um, he wants to abolish ICE. Uh, he wants a billion-dollar tax increase. He wants a single-payer health care system in Florida, which would bankrupt the state. Uh, I'm trying to make Florida even better. He wants to make Florida Venezuela. <laughs> that was my, my, the most awesome soundbite of the day. Meanwhile, in Arizona, and keep in mind, okay, this is the assumption again is that uh, Democrats are going to take over the House and there's going to be this uh, this blue wave. So far, indications are conservatives and Republicans are come are flocking to the polls, flocking to the polls. 
and coming out and vote and are, are, and are highly motivated to get out there and vote. And we saw it in, in, uh, in Florida. And again, the fact that Gillum won and, and he's as crazy as he is is just a product of low voter turnout among Democrats in Florida. You realize Ocasio-Cortez in New York, that's a similar situation out there. She won because there actually were not a lot of Democrats coming out to vote. They, they, they were not really highly motivated to vote. She was not a candidate that had the hearts and minds of Democrats. They were mostly just kind of for this old man there who was already in, in, uh, in, in the, uh, uh, the incumbent there. But this was not an indication. Her, her winning was an indication of low voter turnout and low interest, not high voter turnout and high interest. Check it out there. You'll, you'll, you'll see. Anyway, uh, Martha McSally won the Arizona GOP Senate primary. So Arpaio uh, and Kelly Ward uh, just didn't have a chance. And I think what happened is that, that the sheriff and Kelly Ward kind of counted each other out. I actually think Kelly Ward was probably uh, the best choice there. But anyway. Uh, Martha McSally, who's who's a veteran, by the way, uh, won the primary, uh, and uh, Jeff Flake. The good news is that he's gone, so we're. I'm just. I'm just glad. And she's going to go up against this one Democrat, but it's in November. But it's it's uh, it's it's not going to uh, change the situation in Arizona. We're going to have a Republican senator there. Uh, Ward got into a little bit of problems. Um, because uh, she didn't react correctly, um, you know, to to John McCain's death or whatever it was. They tried to derail her. But again, uh, it was pretty clear that McSally was going to ultimately uh, be victorious because – Arpeo and Kelly Ward were somewhat similar, but the headline from all this, folks, is that uh, is is that there's low voter turnout we're seeing in a variety of different states, and, and we even saw it when we had the earlier primaries that day, when we saw some things going on in uh, Minnesota as well as in Kansas, we saw a little bit of that. So. Uh, it doesn't appear – I mean there, there might be some heavily motivated Democrats out there, but so far they're not showing up in any level in some of these uh, key states. And I realize that Florida uh, went Trump and, and, and that his popularity in Florida is, is over the top at this point and that Arizona traditionally does have a lot of uh, – is a, is a Republican state, but the voter to- – totals out there are just pay attention to them and know that this is uh, not a done deal when it comes to the November election. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. My boy, Jim Carafano is going to be joining us tomorrow instead he had something come up today, so he shall return. Let me be by my
Jim Talano with us as well. And I appreciate you uh, checking me out. Don't forget, I'm going to be on the Pascal Show just an hour from now. It's on Facebook. Pascal Show Facebook Live. That'll be interesting. And don't forget to go to RadioFreeAlman.com for all your gear. You like my hat? Get one yourself. Thank you, Discovery Design, DiscoveryDesignInc.com for the studio. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.